This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. You ready? You buckled in. Three hours. Then you can begin your weekend. Even though you got work today, once we're done with the show, you can just kick back. Take your nap, relax. That's that's how we do it here. Man, we hope you uh, we hope you're having a great day. When we uh, prepare the show, you never know what's coming down the road politically with uh, the Trumpster. I have a question, and Terry, you, today you're going to have to address it. Okay. okay, you're going to have to solve this problem. I'll get right on it. Many argue the media created Donald. Some, yes. Uh, by the, giving him $2 billion worth of fairly the, free advertising. In, uh, I believe in, is it Pasadena? They're having the uh, Television Critics Association meetings. Yeah, yeah. And so all the TV executives show up. They bring in their fall lineups. These are our new shows with the NBC executives up there. And they ask him, do you take any credit for creating Donald <laughs> Trump? Great and question. And he's like, no. That was just a TV show. You guys do, you know. And he's like, yeah, he kind of <laughs> deflected to other blame people. blame me for that. Yeah, so he but, even got blamed for it. But I think he got $2 billion-ish worth of, uh, of free media. Yes, because everyone wanted to watch he and got see what ratings he was going to do like next. crazy. So is it possible that the media created the Don, and now the media is effectively tearing him down? Could be. It seems like, I mean, everyone would argue, too, that Donald's kind of doing a great job doing it himself. Well, he's helping. He, he's he giving plenty of story. content. Yeah. But at some point, um, there's stuff that's happening with uh, President Obama and a crate full of money. Yeah. They talk about a little bit. Yeah. I've little, seen a couple yeah. try to broach the subject. Yeah, Hillary Clinton uh, stuff. You know that comes up. We we could be addressing a few issues still. You don't hear anything right. about email anywhere. No. Well, there's nothing really new, right? So it, it seems like it's the media and Hillary, Donald and Assange. Yes, and however that plays out is where our president's going to come from. God, God bless the USA. I guess. Okay. It's crazy. I don't know what to say. So we'll be talking a little bit more about that. We're, we're gonna. Tr- we were talking about what do you talk about when Trump kind of goes quiet a little bit? When? when? Well, I mean, there was that half hour like two weeks ago. Do you okay. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, little. Yeah. See, if you remember yesterday, he was talking about watching an airplane of money being unloaded in Iran. Then on Twitter, it comes out and he goes, "Oh well, it was actually just the airplane in Switzerland with the hostages getting off that everybody saw. That's the video he yeah. saw." But, and then, then he doubled down again. And then, he went, said it again. then he went to Maine and had a had a rally where he said again, "I saw this <laughs> this video from Iran." And, but it wasn't a video of the crate of money or whatever. Anyway, we'll come back and give you a little heads up what's going on. Kind of a Trump date. Also, today, we've got so much. Uh, we're going to be getting into the Olympic Games. I, I'm worried they, for the they Rio open Olympics. Tonight, by the Tonight's way. the night. If you didn't know, yep. they open tonight. It's scary for me because this cost them about 20 bill. 
that's the number that people are circling around. Yes. And $20 billion. That they don't really have. That they didn't have. And they took some shortcuts that are causing other problems. They had to use bolt cutters to get into one of the stadiums yesterday because they lost the keys to the gate. Well, but how common is that? Sure. I mean. Yeah. I mean. And who doesn't have an extra set of bolt cutters? Right. I hope every Olympic team packed their bolt cutters. So we're going to be talking about the Olympic Games. Have they gone too far? Are they are they out of control to the point that really no country can afford hosting them anymore? Hmm. We'll get into that with a, an expert that's actually researched them. He's he's also an expert in the original games. Seems like we've strayed a little bit from the original Olympic Games. Yeah. It's a little bit. Probably a little bit. We'll get to that as well. But first, let's get to our headlines. And joining us for the headlines, Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. The candidate who, during the Republican primary, spent a good deal of his campaign rally citing polls that placed him ahead of the GOP rivals is now quick to dismiss polling as meaningless. During an interview with local CBS affiliate before an event in Portland, Maine on Thursday, Donald Trump was asked if a Fox News poll that puts him 10 points behind Hillary Clinton nationwide is concerning to him in any way. Trump said, no, it's very, very early and I think we're going to do very well before pivoting to the campaign's contrasting positions on taxes and immigration. Seth Klarman, a billionaire mega donor who usually contributes to the Republican Party and its candidates, is defecting from his party this cycle over recent shockingly unacceptable comments that Donald Trump has made. Klarman has decided instead to back Hillary Clinton, the Democratic nominee. Between 1996 and 2006, nearly 54 sexual abuse allegations were lobbed against coaches for USA Gymnastics. And as a local newspaper, the Indianapolis Star reported Thursday, many of those allegations were never investigated. In an effort to protect coaches' reputations against false allegations, the organization, which is the governing body of gymnastics in the U.S., reportedly instituted a policy that required only complaints made directly by the victim or by the victim's parents to be further investigated. That policy, the Indianapolis Star discovered, enabled many instances of sexual abuse to go unchecked throughout a 10-year period. And lastly, Matt, George Zimmerman was allegedly punched in the face while talking to people at a restaurant in Florida over the weekend. A man reportedly accused him of bragging about killing Trayvon Martin before punching him. Zimmerman claims that he was just explaining to people what happened. Other witnesses corroborated the man's story. Those are your headlines for this Friday morning. You know, yeah, he. I think the rest of his life he's going to be in trouble. My wife, my wife, my mom would always. Oh, I know. It's a Freudian yeah, I know. Slip. My mom would always use the concept of cruising for a bruising. Yes, that, that, that was my mom. My mom would say that, and she's going to done cruise me down. Yeah, I'm. Cru- you're, hey, you're cruising for a bruising. That, that's not what I. I what I think quiet. when when you hear anything about George Zimmerman, it's like that's a guy that needs to be quiet, just sort of disappear. Mm-hmm. Talk to the hand. And ends up that he just keeps Mr. showing up. Mr. Zimmerman. Um, what do you think? So everyone in the press, you know, yesterday was a big day about Trump's sinking. Oh, by the, the way, ship is sinking. Trump's childhood home in Queens is for sale. If you'd like to buy it for $2 ah, million. Dollars. Really? Yeah. Two mil. 2.4 million bucks. Ah, darn it. I just I do bought believe, a $2 million I do home. believe that's a little high for the uh, average price in the neighborhood. But it is Donald's. Yes. This is where Donald started his thinking. Allegedly. Why is Ben laughing about that? That was seemed kind of rude to laugh at that joke. That wasn't a joke. That was it's a, a five bedroom house. Really? Yeah. So not is back. this the Go house ahead. he grew up in, and then where his father then gave him a million dollars to? No, go? no, no. That would be a different house. That's a different house. I don't know if you'd want a million dollars and live in that house. It's a small house. 
It's where yeah. everything began. Good. Uh, Moving on. The media and Donald Trump. Um, everybody seems to say he's sinking. All the big shows, all the big uh, morning media shows are mm-hmm. saying, can he pull himself out of this? There's a piling on effect happening. There's a total piling on. Uh, his his ratings, or his polls are plummeting in certain states. Can he possibly bring it back? He needs Pennsylvania. was one of the states that they, he keeps claiming he would carry, but that's a hard state for a Republican to carry. If there's another WikiLeaks email uh, dump, they've been calling but if, if more more uh, information comes out from WikiLeaks against the Democrats or against Hillary yeah. Clinton, that would help. Heaven forbid, but if there was a terrorist attack, Ugh. that plays more for Trump than it does for Hillary Clinton. Right. So th- th- those are things that could dramatically change. But see, none the of those are in is, his control. Last week we were talking about what? The Khan family. The Khan. They're gone. The cons are gone. They, they've, they're, they're, that story has moved on. Now it's By the way, it's moved on and, because he quit pouring yeah, fuel well, on. He stopped. Well, yeah, everyone kind of moved away from the topic. But there's all on. these other things that have come up. Yeah. He keeps doubling down on videos that don't exist. and He took on 16 formidable Republican leaders. Formidable? But really? was brought down by the con family. Because he wouldn't move on. Well, and, interesting, Muslim... American. Yeah. So he, it was, isn't it, that's like poetic justice, many would say. You took on every yeah. major big fan, the Bushes. And a, a you took se- on Romney. You a took seemingly on, little, little insignificant type person type, was able to take him down. Deeply connected to Clinton, but, well, uh, yeah. but still, but honestly made a very incredibly passionate plea. Yeah. And it worked. Well, and then he started fighting. And then it goes back to Hillary Clinton talking about you can bait him with a tweet. You can bait him with really anything. Yeah. You just have to challenge him and he wants to come after you. See, don't you think that that was – that they were um, – what's the word? Foretelling. When she said the quote, if you can beat a man with – or if you can bait a man with a tweet, he ought not be running the nuclear weapons or whatever. Yeah. She's been baiting him oh, yeah. all week long. Yeah. And he takes it every time. All week long. In fact, there was an article that came out showing his actual hand size. Yeah, I saw that. Did you see that? And you can measure your hand against his hand. And I think it's like 80% of the men in the country have bigger hands. Right. It's like you're thinking, is this, you know, that wasn't a major news agency that posted that. But I no. guarantee you it's getting some. Oh, it gets run. Yeah. It's getting some movement. But yeah, someone made a, a casting of some way so you uh-huh. could walk into this building and, huh. Because he went to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, he go. had his whole body measured. Yeah. So they took the uh, they took an outline of his hand, and anyway, but he's down about uh, he, uh, Clinton's up eight points in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. a pretty important swing state. Michigan, she's up six points. Ohio, she's only up about a point. Point mm-hmm. oh, point oh eight, point oh, point eight. Florida, she's up two point seven. He's going to have to carry probably three of those. And not lose anything else right? in order to make this work. I read this morning Colorado is probably uh, becoming closer to being in play as, yeah. as Hillary's it? got some uh, inroads there. Okay. Uh, well, Colorado, Clinton's up eight. And that's a major swing state, right? Lately, it's been a swing state. And these things, this is, again, what the Democratic convention was last week. Mm-hmm. So this is the week where she feels that bump from the right. convention. Next week, let's, you know, in the next two weeks, everything starts to sort of level out. 
and we get a more real indicator of where the the election sits. He uh, a big point is that he's he lost the opportunity. So there was the opportunity when he could have taken her on about her her emails, and he was talking about something else, mm-hmm. and he got the bump. So that looked good, like a seven point jump from his uh, from his convention. Mm-hmm. Then you know it should have settled back down to normal, I guess. And then the Khan family. He's got to get. Well, he also focused. shows up to events and starts talking about the uh, reports about nine eleven in New Jersey that came out several months ago, and how he <laughs> he he. I guess, well, he mocked a reporter who has some sort of, of disability. Yeah. He says he didn't. Some people said he did. But he brings that whole conversation up again so people talk about yeah. it. They show the clips. He yeah. talked about it, you know, just the other day. Don't talk about it. He talked about Megan Kelly again. Oh, he, he did? Yeah, he brought up three or four kind of big event type, you know, yeah. things that he had to answer and sort of controversial things that he talked about over the primaries. Did he bring up his first marriages, couple marriages? No. He ah, I wonder up. why he didn't do that. I so mean, he's, he's relitigating He's relitigating things that people have probably forgotten about. Yeah. But then they get to, oh, wait, do you remember that? Let me run through that again for you. And you get that whole mess again. Well, and he's got a double kind of whammy going against him because not only do we beat him up because he talks hmm. but because he talks they don't pay attention to hillary right right and she, and she kind of just disappears yeah. i haven't heard much from her all week I, I have a rule when i coach couples that says uh we always pay more attention to the least predictable one or the right. one that's the the one that's the the most likely to create a problem so hillary right now isn't creating problems no donald is so we all pay attention to him and meanwhile She's not being vetted again. She's, I mean, right. she's been vetted, but she's not being looked at with all of the new information and the new – why isn't she being questioned about the payoff? She was in Colorado at a tie factory. Oh, really? They make men's ties. And so she was there – we There's tie factories in the United States? Yes. She was there comparing the fact that Donald Trump makes all of his, his items, his yeah. ties and suits all overseas. Mm-hmm. And here's a company that's made it work in Colorado. Yeah. Now I'm watching that and I'm like, okay, I understand what she's trying to do. It's boring. There's no sound bites. It's yeah. her standing there with a tie company. It's like someone needs to dress this up so that someone pays attention. Right. You know, that, that, but again, think of that. That's brilliant for them to be doing this contrast. And that would probably make the news if Donald wasn't saying something else. That's the kind of thing that a political candidate does. Many people are worried that he's setting this up too, talking about how rigged the whole system is. Yes. And – in fact, again, the sitting president, who really wants Hillary to win. Um, he was at the Pentagon for an update on ISIS, and he was giving a report, and then someone asked him about Donald Trump. And he, and he injected this. Of course the elections will not be rigged. What does that mean? <laughs> the federal government doesn't run the election process. States and cities and communities all across the country... They're the ones who set up the voting systems and the voting booths. And uh, if Mr. Trump is suggesting that there is a conspiracy theory that is uh, being propagated uh, across the country, including in places like Texas, uh, uh, where typically it's not Democrats who are in charge of uh, voting booths, um, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And I don't think anybody would take that seriously. Wow. There you go. Well, 
Of course, he's going to say that. He's not even. He he's in, in on it, right? And he was even born in America. Allegedly. Back to Trump's whole. Yeah, he brought that up too. Corey Lewandowski brought did it up about. That up? Did, did, did Obama, <laughs> did he submit all necessary documents uh, to get into Harvard? Hold it. He said that the other day on CNN. You're like, what are you doing? We're not, you're not even running against Obama. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy thing. Uh, but remember, Donald did the same thing. I think the whole Republican thing's rigged. Mm-hmm. And if they don't treat me fairly, I'm going to go independent. So he had all these weird threats. And then, remember, they nominated him. So is he just crazy like a fox or is he just crazy? Don't know. Or is he just a fox? Eh. Crazy like a fox. Well, you know, what do you do? Again, sort through it, folks. Look through it. See through it. Check your heart. Check your gut. You got about 90 days before you have to vote. So no hurry, you know. You could keep praying for a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh alternative. But instead, maybe let's start looking for the good. Let's let's have a weekend of just trying to find the good in these candidates. Maybe that'll help. We'll be right back, folks. When we come back, we're talking the Olympic Games. Is this is it gonna work? Do, do changes need to be made in the Olympics? Stick with us. We'll be back talking about it. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Tonight's the night, the launch of the 2016 Rio Summer Olympic Games. They've uh, already been having some competitions, and everything's underway tonight. The opening ceremonies, get ready for it. Rio, though, is facing some very difficult challenges with the threat of the Zika virus, civil unrest, political turmoil, and construction cost overruns. Our guest today, Paul Christensen, is a professor of the Department of Classics at Dartmouth College. He has spent two decades studying and writing about the ancient and modern Olympics. Dr. Christensen uh, feels that the games have become too big and some ideas and uh, has put together some ideas on how to adjust the games so they can be better managed by all the other countries in the world. Dr. Christensen, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. This um, We've had the Olympics in my hometown before in Salt Lake City. Incredible experience. Major, major stress, though, to, to make <laughs> yeah, sure that, that you make it financially. Yeah, you guys had some complications in 2000. Oh, do you remember that? And it, I mean, the, the whole scandal about uh, bribery and all of the Olympic junk, except it after that, that, that was the, I guess, getting of the Games. But then it, it was amazing how it brought a community together. It brought the talent and, and, and a lot of talented people together. That was like right when security was becoming paramount. Mm. So talk to us. Um, it, it's, I think I read in your article, uh, you wrote an article in theconversation.com, Making the Case for the New Olympics. This Olympics uh, down in Rio is, I guess, expected to cost about $20 billion. Yes. That's crazy. That's that's the likely sum. The numbers have gotten very large. I think when people talk about the Olympics, uh, there's a lot of positives, and I think you yeah. started by pointing out some of the positives that Salt Lake City experienced. So I don't think 
anyone has completely negative things to say, but there are, are a lot of complications. Uh, I think the things that are most regularly cited as big issues are costs, which have obviously gone up a huge amount in the course of the last 20 years, and corruption and sustainability have been the big things that people have talked hmm. about regularly as becoming issues that the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, which runs the games, is probably going to need to confront at some point. Cost, corruption, and sustainability? Sustainability. So in one of the issues as people become more aware in, in environmentally is that the IOC estimates that sort of at a bare minimum, the Summer Olympics would require buildings that occupy about 1,700 acres, but most places build considerably more than that. So Beijing, the buildings for the, for the Summer Olympics occupied about 8,000 acres. Holy and that's cow. a lot of building to take place in the course of five or six years. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to sort of do it in a rough and ready fashion, which is to put up a lot of stuff really quickly without worrying too much about the environmental impact. And I guess that is, if you only need 1,700 acres and you push 8,000 acres and build it on 8,000, I guess that is that just so more people can attend? They're bigger venues, and so a lot of host cities want to reinforce their bid and the probability of it being accepted by doing more than the minimum. But another part of the equation is that as time has gone on, especially in the last few bidding cycles, there has been a real tendency for places to bid that have a desire to show themselves off in a sort of grand display of Mm. nationalism, which then requires huge buildings to support that display. So, and in a way, we get further and further away from the the spirit of the Olympics. Ah, uh, yes, this is a a big deal, which I think people don't talk about enough. The Olympics were founded back in the the IOC was founded in 1894, not to run games per se, but as a peace movement. Uh, this came out of the time in Paris in the late 19th century when there was a real emphasis on trying to find ways for countries to get along. And the sort of guiding light behind the IOC was a guy named Pierre de Coubertin. He was very involved in peace movements, and his idea was that if we had big international sporting events, what would happen is that we would bring together people from all over the world, and there would be an emphasis on inclusion and settling things peacefully and fair play, and that this would help promote world peace. And the people who run the IOC take this very seriously. They call it Olympism. And they see themselves as having a mission to make the world a better place huh. through sport. Well, And it works, except it, it can, it, then these countries go broke. It can definitely work. And I think Salt Lake City is a great example of how that can, how that can work in practice. The problem is, as the costs have gone up, the the number of places that are willing to foot that kind of bill are very few. There's a study done by the Dutch government in 2012 that predicted, with some uh, with a great degree of foresight, that the only places that would bid to host the games going forward would be non-democratic countries. Uh, because they would have the strong desires for nationalistic displays uh. and the ability to overcome local opposition. Oh, wow. Okay. So they could oppress, and they needed press. Yeah, exactly. Right on. And that's a really great formulation, and that's, in <laughs> fact, what happened. If you, the, the great example most recently has been the bidding for the 2022 uh, Winter Games, 
And there was a whole series of cities that thought about it, but Oslo and Norway withdrew because there was no public support. Uh, Stockholm withdrew for the same reason. Davos and Switzerland withdrew from the bidding. Uh, Krakow withdrew after a negative local referendum. And the only two cities left in the bidding were Almaty in Kazakhstan and Beijing. Holy cow. Wow. And neither one of those have the sort of... uh, political system or the neither one of those countries had the sort of political system or human rights record that right. really are consonant with what Olympism is supposed to be. So about. it's, yeah, so it's, it's become the games that can only be afforded by those that don't necessarily further Olympism, exactly. the, the peace, the peaceful movement side of, of sharing a world together in sport. Wow. Is, as you study it, um, there's the financial impact, as you were saying, the cost, the corruption has become pretty big. We saw that with the in the Salt Lake uh, kind of corruption scandal, but we also saw it in the soccer FIFA kind of mm-hmm. world scandal as well. And mm-hmm. we, we've had some discussions on the show about that. There tends to be a need to for, you know, not bribing, I guess, but showing your goods and showing everything we can do and giving even gifts and presents to the IOC. Is that all gone away since since uh, Salt Lake City? Well, it's gotten better. The IOC has taken some very serious steps to try to curb that sort of behavior, in large part by forbidding people on the IOC who are going to make the decision about what city will host the Olympics, it forbids them from visiting those cities. And that was a real problem in Salt Lake City. That yeah. Salt Lake City made a real effort to fly all the people in who were going to make the decision. And while they were in Salt Lake City, they got treated to pretty much everything that could be possibly mm-hmm. imagined, including free medical treatment. Oh wow! For themselves and their families. Yeah. Well, um, and in fact, I remember that. Um, and there, a lot of the Salt Lake City committee were burned, I think, because it went to Nagano four years before. Mm-hmm. I think it was Nagano, and Nagano exactly. didn't even have a, bill, uh, a mountain large enough, I guess, to to actually host the one of the ski run, the one of the ski competitions. So they had to yeah, build but, one. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. And Nagano, the people who ran the bid for Nagano were almost unapologetic about the amount of bribery they did. So, for instance, a bunch of Nagano businessmen paid for it to build an Olympic museum in Lausanne near the IOC headquarters. Wow. Wow. That was purely coincidental. Yeah. And when questions began to be asked, all the records from Nagano were burnt by their organizing committee. <laughs> Accidentally, I'm sure. <laughs> and the organizers were asked why they burnt all the records. And, he, and the organizers said, the head organizer said that the records might have been embarrassing to the IOC. Oh, how nice of them. They, now, some of this has gone away. But interestingly enough, Tokyo, which is, which is going to be the next host for the Summer Games, it's undergoing its own scandal, evidently, that the bid committee for Tokyo spread some money around to some of the IOC decision mm. makers. And so it, it's gotten better, but it's when there are such huge sums of money floating around it's ve- and very short spaces of time in systems that are, are not regularly functioning. In other words, it's not a regular government institution where you could put administrative procedures into place that function over decades. Right. In those sort of circumstances, it's really hard to keep people uh, from misbehaving, at least on the edges. And you're also blending and merging multiple cultures. I mean, right? It seems like certain certain cultures 
they just played diff by different rules. And it doesn't – I mean, on the IOC level, they can't do that. But um, it, it seems like it's still almost – it was culturally more acceptable even when I lived abroad to to pay to not get a ticket instead of getting a ticket and going to pay. Anyway, it sounds weird. But um, it's very a lot. I mean, this is not something we want, need to talk about today. But the other issue of corruption is the spending of the money at in the host city. No, that get to that because that doesn't that then lead to your sustainability issue, where we yes. build these huge things that we can't sustain over time. There, the. Costs go in all sorts of different directions. One, just to tidy up on the corruption end of things. You know, the Sochi Olympics evidently cost about $50 billion. No one really knows. Wow. It's an extraordinary sum of money. Just for comparison, Salt Lake City probably cost about $3 billion. Mm. But what, one of the big issues with Sochi is that a lot of the money just disappeared. You know, either it was spent on construction projects that were never completed or weren't completed very well, or, and some of the money evidently just vaporized. <laughs> and, again, this goes back to this issue of spending a lot of money in a short space of time in a fashion which is the host city is not really prepared to do, that there are huge opportunities for lots of money to vanish. Yeah. And that's and that, you know, understandably, people in those sorts of countries take that kind of thing seriously, right? And in any country, which is here's a lot of money, a lot of it's taxpayer funded. And what's going on is the money's disappearing. And that's really not what I think anyone had in mind for this kind of thing. That's right. And so, and then the shoddy work, and we're hearing in Rio um, that the, some of the shoddy work is actually creating environmental issues and other impact issues. There is, that's almost inevitable because, again, we're, doing, we're asking cities to do an enormous amount of building in a very short period of time. And even if things go well, so, you know, Brazil, a couple of years before this, had hosted the FIFA World Cup and had worked on a huge number of stadiums for those, for that game, for those games. And some of those uh, stadiums are quite well built. The question is, what do you do with them afterwards? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you can only hold so many sporting events. Yeah. So Brazil thought they were going to use all these soccer stadiums later on. But so, for instance, one of them they spent $400 million on is... Mm being used by a second division soccer team that seats 1,500 people for their games. So they didn't need a $400 million stadium no. to play for this team. See, that's what we will have to take a break, Paul, come back. I want you to tell us what are some of your solutions. I think they're in, the ideas you're, you're pushing forward are innovative. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, you'll get major pushback. But I think the reality is we don't need to keep, you know, doing it the way we're doing it, uh, or we're going to keep getting the chaos we're getting. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Paul Christensen. He is uh, talking to us about the Olympics. He's a professor of depart- in the Department of Classics at Dartmouth College and has spent two decades studying and writing about the ancient and modern Olympics. Stick with us, folks. We're going to come back with some solutions, some proposals from Dr. Christensen on what we could be doing with the Olympics. We'll be right back. Everybody to the Matt Townsend Show. The music, by the way, uh, part of the theme music to the Rio Olympics. That, we didn't even talk about that. Another expense. You've got to get the right music. 
Joining us is Dr. Paul Christensen, and he is a professor in the Department of Classics at Dartmouth College. He spent the last two decades studying and writing about ancient and modern Olympics. He, um, he also uh, has an, expert, an expertise in ancient Greek history with a particular focus on Sparta. That's what we need, Dr. Christensen. We need the Spartans back for a minute to help sort through some of our issues here. They, uh, they did have a well-deserved reputation for doing things in very simple fashion. <laughs> yeah, I bet they've got a lot of other history we don't know about, too, that you could eventually enlighten us on. What do we do going forward? The Olympics, they're beautiful. They have an incredible spirit and opportunity, a really powerful way to create peace, as they were kind of designed to do. Um, but they're in chaos with cost issues, corruption issues, sustainability issues that you've taught us about. What, what do you propose going forward? How could we mix it up and, and still get the same spirit, the same opportunity, but, you know, spread out the risk maybe? Sure. So the one thing, the starting point is to think about where the costs are coming from for running the Olympics. And they're generally divided into three buckets. The operating budget, which is what it actually costs to administer the games. But in addition to that, there is the two things are one – are is to build venues, and the other is infrastructure. And that's where most of the expense comes from, to build all the venues, all the stadiums and swimming pools and canoe, uh, canoe courses that one needs for the Olympics, and then all the infrastructure to move around six or 700,000 people in addition to the regular population of the city. And so the piece that I wrote for the conversation is advocating a very different model for the Olympics in which each individual sport went to a different city hmm. so that instead of having all 30 or so summer Olympic sports held in Rio de Janeiro, for example, there would be 30 different host cities, each one, each one uh, organizing and administering just a single event. Yeah, and they, a lot of those cities wouldn't have to build, right? They'd just have to clean up their site. One presumes that the for the cities in this sort of system that would bid – would bid because they already had most, if not all, of the appropriate infrastructure in place. And so that the venues were there, and there would be very, very many fewer people in each given city so that the venue would be in place already, it would need very little work, and the infrastructure would need to be entirely rebuilt. So the cost would drop radically mm. for hosting for the host city. That There has been a lot of talk um, recently, too, I've heard about – you even mentioned Stockholm and others that were maybe thinking of, of going back and looking for other – a second chance to host the Olympics because they've, they've already got it. They've already got the, the system set up and the, and the venues they need is – so one proposal is yours where you spread it out over, uh, I guess, the 30 venues or the 30 different sites – or couldn't we just go back to the same old cities and have every country basically create two or three Olympic venues sites that just rotate through? That's a possibility. You know, when the first Olympic Games were held in 1896, the first ones run by the IOC, they were held in Athens, and the Greeks at that point had put a lot of effort into building the appropriate facilities, and they really thought that they were going to get to keep the Olympics permanently. Mm. But the IOC decided to move the games, the idea being that it's supposed to be a global event. It's supposed to sure. be an event which involves everyone in the whole world and sort of pulls us together as a, as a species so that we all learn to get along. And they were very reluctant to 
give a permanent home to the games because they thought that was antithetical to their yeah. idea of trying to bring everyone together. So I, I'm not sure that given the goals of Olympism, that building two or three permanent venues, permanent settings for them is really what they have in hmm. mind. They really do want to try to make it a global event. In that sense, very different than, for instance, FIFA, which is held from the limited number of countries in a single country. Right. And the, I guess you could do it by continent, you know, two or three per continent, rotate through the continents, or isn't technology, you mentioned that earlier, can't we use technology better? Like your example, if you spread it out over 30 different venues, use the technology to create the unity. Absolutely. So this is one of the points that I was arguing in the piece is that when the Olympic Games were founded in the late 19th century, in order to participate in any sense as a spectator or an athlete, you needed to be in the site. There was no anything resembling the media that we have today. But given that almost everyone who's going to have something to do with the modern Olympics is going to do it electronically, either on the internet or via television, there's not a real, there's no real compelling reason that everyone who's who's competing needs to be in the same city anymore. Right. And in fact, one of the things which is true of sports coverage around the world is that it's much more exciting to watch it live than on tape. Mm-hmm. And when we put a all the games in a single time zone, it means that big chunks of the world are going to have to get the games either very at very strange hours for them live, or on tape delay. Whereas if we put the games all over the globe, so that they were all happening, so they were happening a sort of a rolling basis across the globe, there would always be live coverage wherever that you were, wherever country you were in, there'd always be live coverage going on. It's if you've ever seen like NFL's Sunday show, they have whatever 16 games going on or 12, 13, 14 games going on every week and one live hosting site. But I mean, yeah, it's it'd be more complicated than that. Um, I I guess, too, it's somebody's got to have the technology and there's a lot of money being made on these things. So that's probably underlying a lot of this. Right. There's media rights. There's. There's billions of dollars being paid by large organizations to to be promoted. The television revenues have shot up enormously. And the next phase, and the IOC is already preparing for this, is to broadcast almost everything digitally on the Internet. So that the big signature sports like track and field would be broadcast over the regular television networks. But less popular sports like canoeing would be broadcast on the internet and people could get at them any way they wanted. And the IOC is working on setting its sort of own television system up to broadcast everything. Mm. And that's that's a big jump forward because there are enough people around the world who want to watch the canoeing competition who are not going to be able to do that. You bet. And and it seems like, too, you could... You know, it's it's almost like we get the spirit of Olympi- Olympism in the very in the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies, and then throughout the stories made up by the journalists that we watch. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, but it almost seems like I don't know. Maybe the Olympic, the IOC needs to create something like a network where they can control Olympism messaging throughout the entire thing. I think that's what they, they clearly have that in mind. And just to go back to the idea of dispersing the Olympics among all these different cities, 
it would help create some really interesting stories that really would would help achieve the goals of Olympism, which mm. is, for instance, lots of cities in the world and lots of countries simply don't have the economic resources to host the Olympics in their current form. Right. But there is lots of cities in the world that could host a single event very easily. Yeah, that have a river and, that you can put canoes in. They have in. a river, you know, and they could afford $30 million yep. to put up a, a single and a, a venue for a single state for a single event. And the security costs are much lower. They can be handled by the local law enforcement mm. officers because they're not expecting 200,000 people. They're expecting 30,000 people like a fairly standard sporting event, which they're prepared to handle. And so we would get a really global event in the sense that we would have all these cities hosting events, and then the stories that covered them would give us a real sense of what's going on around the globe oh, that would at be the beautiful. same time in the course of those two weeks. And so the IOC could tell a much more global story yeah. that was about people coming together to do something that they all love at the same time. Yeah, imagine 30 really countries good. represented in one Olympic event. I mean, 30 different venues in 30 different countries. How powerful mm -hmm. is that? That would be, I think it would be great for Olympism. It would be good for everyone. And part of what, a part of you know, the idea for this plan is dispersing people is to hope that the Olympic athletes would have the opportunity to spend some time in their host city, both either before or after the games, interacting with the local mm -hmm. population. Yeah. Because the Rio de Janeiro can't afford to have all the Olympic athletes and all the coaches there for long periods of time. There's just too many of right. them. But if it was just a single event, there's no reason why the athletes couldn't come a week early and stay a week late and interact and play some local friendly matches with the clubs, teach the sports to the kids, the local local children to go to the schools. Mm. And so there would be a much more sort of interactive experience that would be the sort of Olympism that the IOC wants to have. D to me, it's got the right spirit, Paul. Is it is it going anywhere? Well, interestingly, so we have a relatively new IOC president named Thomas Bach. And Bach took over just at the time when the number of cities bidding to host the Olympics went down. And th that very it used to be a very competitive process but every bidding cycle the number of cities try who want to bid for the olympics has gone down and bach understood this to be a real problem he spent a lot of time traveling the globe trying to encourage cities to bid but the other thing that he instituted was a sort of period of reflection for the IOC to think about what they were doing and how they might do it better. And so that they came up with was a series of reforms that they called Agenda 2020. It was put in place last year. And the idea was to try to make the Olympics more sustainable and cheaper to host. One of the proposals that went through in, uh, that they accepted as part of that set of reforms was that a country could bid so that um, not it wouldn't be just a single city, but for instance, Germany would bid as a country. There uh. would be a central city that hosted some of the events, but then they could be dispersed among other cities in the same country. It, I, my understanding is that there was a hope that Hamburg in Germany would do that and sort of lead the bid for Germany, but people in Hamburg decided they didn't want to have anything to do with the Olympics. Oh. So it actually didn't work out. Come on, that would have been a great test. Um, I think the issue there, again, is that the people in Hamburg were willing, were cons concerned that they were going to get stuck with the cost sure, sure, and all the issues that went with that. So the IOC has made some preliminary steps 
in this direction. They've certainly indicated an awareness that there's a problem and a willingness to do something about it. Now, what this, this proposal is a more radical one. I think um, I should say that it, I go fairly regularly to the International Olympic Academy, which is located in Greece. It's the sort of study center for the Olympics. Yeah. And this proposal has been was floating around the the Olympic Academy and was forwarded as part of the proposals for Agenda 2020 and mm. not accepted. But I don't think anyone anyone at the Olympic Academy, including myself, thought the IOC was going to adopt the more radical right. version right away. But because it's a big institution, it's got more than a century of history, and it's going to take some time for them to evolve, but they, yeah. they think they're, they're aware of the issues and certainly have shown some willingness to do something about them. Well, I mean, that's, so, I guess, I part of the, that's part of the battle, right, Paul, is in the end, I guess, you just slowly kind of <laughs> nick away, hit away at it, and, and I guess try to get more and more ideas um, out there. The, the spirit of, of Olympism, is, it's a great learning for all of us, especially tonight as we watch the opening um, ceremonies. Dr. Paul Christensen, we appreciate you and your great insight from Dartmouth College. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and wrap it up this first hour of the show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, tonight with the Olympic uh, opening ceremonies starting, pay attention to what we just learned about uh, from our, our good Professor Christensen about Olympism and that Olympic spirit. Do you, When you're watching tonight, do you feel a sense of a promotion of world peace? Do you see them kind of exalting the idea of living a whole life, a balanced life of body, will, and mind? Because it, a lot of times you're going to get caught up in the showmanship. You're going to, who's carrying the flag? And, you know, all the stars that you're going to see. But remember, too, behind the scenes, Rio de Janeiro has been, as a country, I mean, as a city and as, as an entire country of Brazil, They've got a lot of their heart in this, and there's going to be bad press uh, and Zika, for heaven's sakes, but also just be grateful for the work that they've put in and the really the expense they've gone to tonight um, and throughout the next few weeks. So if we appreciate what we see at home, talk to your kids about it. Share it. Talk about the some of the Olympic principles and maybe try to catch the spirit of the Olympics and the peace movement of the Olympics, not just the joy of competition. Make sense? Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back next hour. Stick with us, helping you live longer and seeing the good in the world. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Friday to you. You made it. You've almost made it anyway. You've made it through the week. Happy International Traffic Light Day as well. You can't get enough of the old international traffic 
light day. I uh, Today I celebrated by sitting at about six traffic lights. The first traffic light? Yeah. Where was it? The first traffic light in the history of all mankind? Of all traffic lights. Uh, Garden of Eden. No. Okay. It's Colorado right there. Springs. It's right there. It was on um, the corner of East 150th, 105th Street and Euclid Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. See? Cleveland, Ohio. Pretty huge. Oh, boy. But it was developed. The first electric traffic light was developed by Lester Wire. Tell me that's not a great name for an electrician. Sure. An American, oh, he's a policeman, yeah. of Salt Lake City, Utah. He created red light and green lights. I would guess in to both move traffic. locations, people to this day still have problems with traffic lights. Oh, yeah. Just can't figure them out. But in 1912. You think, I don't know why I would think this, but possibly would people have better insight because this is the location in Cleveland or in Salt Lake City yeah. that maybe they have a better idea of a traffic light? Well, don't you think possibly at some point? The very first light is right there. It's just you've never seen that. Yeah. You'd, I'm sure you pay attention to it better the back guy, then. The one in Cleveland I read had a buzzer on it. Oh, really? So that when police needed to come through the intersection, it would just buzz like a, like an air raid siren or something. Wow. That was a smart idea. Where now they just have lights and they just shut everything down. Cleveland sometimes gets a bad reputation, but they've, they're have they on the cutting edge. Right. I mean, well, where were the riots? They weren't in Cleveland. They weren't in Philadelphia. I, I guess I was thinking more of like <laughs> the Hall of Fame. Oh, there's the, that. The Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame. Uh, That's what I was thinking about. Uh, river that you can line up. And LeBron. Well, now. A great invention. He did leave. Mother and father and People forget that part. It's also listen. work like a dog day. Yeah. It's been a hard day. Working like a dog. We couldn't have found a better version of that. That was the one from Ben. You actually Ben's. can't because of, because of how they're copyrighted. So Ben just put his eight track in. Apparently. With his blown speakers. I have a better version of that if you wanted it. In his Monte Carlo. <laughs> work like a dog day. But you know what? It's Friday. Nice. So it's Fr- work like Friday's, a dog on Friday day. Friday's one of my probably seven favorite days. Really? Yeah. Wow. Just picked a number there. That's um. That's weird. Of all my favorite days, it's probably the one week. of the top seven. Yeah. Man. I got some news for you. We'll get to <laughs> – I'm just going to tease it now because we're going to get to the news. Yeah. But, Terry, um, did you know – do you know what a batarang, a batarang is? I do. I do. I do. It's it's carried by Superman. Hmm. And it's it's made of uh paper. Tungsten. No. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't don't try to mess this up. We're going to talk batarangs. Yeah. There which are is problem. a boomerang, Batman boomerang. But yeah. Superman, I'm pretty sure is the guy that invented it and patented You wouldn't think it would, you would be able to throw it accurately because yeah. it's in the shape of a bat, not a star, which you'd think be you know, smaller, more compact, but the bat is, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, have but people use Have you ever seen a them. bat fly? I have. They fly all over the place. They do. So the battering probably flies exactly as it should as a bat. Okay. But in the hands of Superman, who mm-hmm. uses it the most? Yeah. 
There you go. Money. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk batarangs in a moment. But first, uh, also coming up, we are going to be talking about um, why people are starting to believe more and more in UFOs again. It, it, is it possible? Because they're real? Maybe. Oh. One of our very own, Sadie Nelson, saw lights in the sky. That was a Chinese rocket. She thought was it was a UFO. Well, yeah. and then It she, was technically unidentified flying object. But not of alien origin. It's of Chinese origin. I know, but she, before they, they figured out where it was from, she came into my office crying and But said, everyone comes into your office crying. No, they usually come in not crying and they leave crying. They assume that there's a work relationship so they can get free counseling from you. I know. I'm starting to charge, by the way. Okay, good. She ended up crying and saying, I'm so scared. Of what? The aliens are coming. Ah. We can't do anything if they show up anyways. They flew here through space, something we can't do. I guess we're probably going to be at a disadvantage. We can wear tinfoil hats to prevent them from reading our minds. Yeah, you got to quit wasting the tinfoil. That's not going to help you. I, I've seen plenty of documentaries no, that validate no. my theory. You're, miss, you're all missing the point. People are believing in UFOs. Oh, wait, there was UFOs. a point in this? <laughs> People are believing in UFOs not just because of extraterrestrial activity mm. that they're seeing per se, but it's becoming possibly a movement of faith, of Re- religion. Replacing traditional religion and believing in something else. It's something else. Right. Like even Star Wars religion. Mm-hmm. Jediism, as we talked about. <laughs> we'll get to that with a true blue professor that's going to walk us through kind of the faith side of why UFOs are so believable for some. We'll get to that a little uh, in just a few more minutes. But first, let's get to the headlines. Kate with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton can now add Florida to the list of swing states where she leads Donald Trump in the polls. A new survey of the Sunshine State by Suffolk University out Thursday showed Clinton with a six-point lead over Trump, pulling 48% support to Trump's 42% in the crucial battleground state. 9% of Florida voters were remain undecided. Donald Trump has finally admitted he got something wrong after publicly declaring multiple times this week that he had seen, quote, top secret footage of a plane unloading money the same day the Iranian government released for American detainees. The Republican presidential nominee finally admitted that video does not exist. The video he saw was of the American detainees getting off a plane in Switzerland. According to an NBC News review of a classified intelligence report, the U.S. has sent more than 1,000 intelligence personnel to Rio de Janeiro to assist the Brazilian government with counterterrorism efforts throughout this month's Summer Olympic Games. Hundreds of intel analysts, law enforcement, and special ops officials are already in Brazil. The report revealed that several highly trained Navy and Marine Corps commandos are in the country specifically to assist its military. A neighbor who's a former firefighter was arrested in a suspicious blaze that gutted the home of Kenneth Walker, the only black firefighter in North Tonawanda, New York. Police said Thursday the fire erupted two days after Walker reported finding a racist and threatening letter in his mailbox. North Tonawanda Police Captain Thomas Krantz said at a news conference that the suspect, Matthew Gerardo, 39, who lives across the street from Walker, admitted having set the fire because he'd recently been, quote, removed from the Gratwick Hose Volunteer Fire Company. And lastly, Matt, the AP reported that employers added a healthy 255,000 jobs last month, a sign of confidence Hmm. amid sluggish growth that points to a resilient U.S. economy. It's the second straight month of strong growth. The Labor Department also said the unemployment rate remained a low 4.9% last month in July. Excellent So there's some good news for you. And the Republicans will have a different opinion. Of course, but those are the real (laughs) numbers. From the White House, yes. 
Oh, you're such a sick. No, that's how it works. They, they put out theirs, the Republicans come out with theirs. And they'll build them up, and they'll build them up, and they'll build them up, and they'll build them up. And then when, let's say, Hillary takes over, they'll just plummet because they'll have to go back to the real numbers. What, the 16% unemployment, not the yeah. five that they're reporting? Yeah. Allegedly? I've heard that too. I don't know. But that, that's what they say. But, you know, it's still great. If people are getting jobs, that's fantastic. Yes. Luckily, Ben got another job. We helped. We hired Ben. But now you guys, everybody, on, so. we've only got a few more days with Ben, Ben the bean, Ben the French vanilla bean Wazden. Mm. A nickname he got because of some of the best vanilla ice cream you've ever tasted. Never tasted it. Oh, yeah. Ben's not very, he doesn't share. No, he doesn't. I don't know. I, I tend to share with people that market my ice cream in a positive manner. Oh, family? <laughs> I notice, Ben, you always tell the, the, the females on staff you'll bring them ice cream. Mm, this is true. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I feel, I feel somehow left out of the situation, maybe discriminated against. We've only got two more days with you, Ben. Are you going to bring in some ice cream? I can bring in some ice cream. Whoa, whoa, whoa. One two of these two days. more days? Isn't that right? Yeah, so today. So you work like Monday and you're done? Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, something so like today two and a half. You don't even finish the week? No. Psh. No. I know. No, no dedication. No. <laughs> but you know what? Bring us some ice cream, Will. Yeah. We'll do, well, I told you, I'll shoot a commercial. I'll do whatever you want. Anything, really. Yeah, let me yes. just, I'll write it. I'll write up a great commercial. I, I can write You'll it. You'll shoot I, a I commercial. To... I want you to do a one-minute video on Instagram and you're like, oh, I can't do it. It's just too much time. Well, that was the day I've got other three hours of work um what's uh I, I already came up with a slogan for you what is it um raven ice cream the best ice cream in utah that's what you came up with right Buh. no 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 raven ice cream Nevermore. no that comes from the book there was another one. raven ice cream uh we infect you less less contaminated <laughs> does not taste like tub cleanser it, you know what Raven ice cream is fantastic. Unless Raven you ice have cream. have a lower GI bleed. Raven <laughs> ice cream tastes like Ajax. Do not take it in. Okay. Ben, we don't know what Raven ice cream tastes like. I yeah. do. Terry doesn't. Mm, tub but scouring cleanser. You bring us some ice cream, and Tuesday we will lay down the best commercial ever. And then when you get everything set and ready to launch, to majorly launch like you're planning... Mm. You'll come on the show as a guest, and we'll launch it as a guest. And we won't make one joke about your ice cream because we will whoa, have tasted whoa. it. Whoa. We can't have them on the show and not make fun of them. No. That's what we'll do. I want it written I, and signed by Terry. I honestly have no idea how to interact with Ben unless I make fun of we him. We won't have Terry in the room. <laughs> that's all I've done. We'll have Terry <laughs> out in the hall. Hey, uh, Batarangs. Now, Terry, you love Batman. You I love do. Superman I more do. than anything Man, on Earth. They're good. I like them. I can... Well, you're acting like you don't. Throttle the uh, level of excitement there. But. Um, what do you think about this story? Okay. A woman uh-huh. drop kicks Ooh. a Kroger cake yes. saying it was ruined. Huh. Check out the story. That was kind of a curveball. I know. Detroit you, police, <laughs> listen to this, are investigating whether a local Kroger customer... Okay. Unhappy with her custom-made cake, dropkick the cake in frustration, then stomped on it in front of employees before storming out of the store. Wow. 
Now, this is where Batman and Superman come in. The incident happened at 2 p.m. Saturday when the woman arrived to pick up a Batman versus Superman birthday cake. Okay. From the store. Yes. The woman, not named by police, was not satisfied with the decoration on the cake, so she went behind the bakery counter in an attempt to fix it herself. Like, that doesn't look like Batman. She went behind the counter to fix it. Do you think she was mad with maybe the lettering? Was, I mean, it doesn't say, but was it? Maybe it was more like the lettering, because how would you fix the the art? I don't know, because most of that stuff, it's a um, they'll have some uh, template that they kind of just spray it on, right? So it's not something you can just go in and make an adjustment. So she, she huh. maybe she was scratching off the name. Maybe his name's not Chushy. His name is Chucky. Yeah. So she's trying something. to fix it. So she got mad. She got mad. Threw it down. Stomped on it. Threw it down. Stomped on it. Picked up the cake, kicked it first. Drop kicked the cake. Wow. Drop kicked the cake. Wow. Then, craziness, she um, stomped on it. Wow. And then the police were called. Yeah. And the Kroger manager had her taken away. So we actually, let me check with Ben, we have video of this event. And then we have gone out and tested thoroughly other things, other cakes mm-hmm. that one might want to try to kick. Okay. Because we wanted to see which cake has the best kick. Like the bounce type of thing? Off the, well, you, uh-huh. Okay. Hang time is really right. what we're yeah, looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is the easiest to get the most hang time out of. Uh-huh. Superman, Batman cake, which she did. Right. Um, we're also going to test other cakes. Like flavors of cakes or? Uh, a German chocolate, for example. Okay. It might we be have, a little heavier. We have audio and video of, of someone kicking a German chocolate cake. Mm. And you're going you're gonna to get a fill for it. Um, other cakes, wedding cakes, fruit mm-hmm. cakes, angel food cakes. Right. Um, ben, are you ready for this? Ready as I'll ever be. Uh, that, that just instills confidence right there. I know. You're guy, ready to go. A guy with two days left. All right. He's already packed the bag. Yeah, he's not mailing it in at all. Okay, so Ben, which cake would you like to start with? Um, the German, the German cake, choc- chocolate cake is. Okay, so this is. It's a good preliminary video okay. of um, somebody kicking, drop kicking, drop kicking a, a German, German chocolate cake. There it goes. Okay, four minute, four second hang time. Nice. Do they always have to play the band? Apparently. It kind of, the noise kind of comes out when you kick the cake, I think. When you kick the cake. How about, uh, let's try, what do you want to try next? Angel food? Um, a bunt cake, probably. Ooh, I love the bunt cake. The bunt cake's a little tricky because there's a hole in the center of the cake. Let's hear what that sounds like. Ooh. Wow. I don't think it even went anywhere. No, I think it just stuck on his foot. Yeah, that just stuck on his foot. That's embarrassing. That's the problem with the bunk cake. Uh, what's it, what else you got? Um, the angel food cake. The angel food cake. This is... <laughs> wow. That had a hang time of like seven seconds. But the angel food cake's got a lot of spring in it. Well, then it bounced and... Yeah, plus it's got the it play got on the ground. six yeah. seconds after that. I think I'd go with the angel food cake if you're going to be kicking a cake. What, what, any other cakes we're going to try? Um, so we have a wedding cake. Now, the wedding cakes are hard. They're heavy. 
multiple tiered, difficult. Let's see how this one goes. Oh, boy. Yeah, kicking every layer. Yeah. Yeah. You can't kick a seven-layer cake. You can't do that. I'm going to go with the angel food cake. That seemed to have the one with the, the best hang time. So if you're going to kick any cake, it's got to be an angel food cake. If you're Ideally. going for cake kicking, do not kick a Batman Superman cake. That will just get you arrested. Uh, then I think first I'd go with the angel food cake for uh, height, hang time, and distance. I would then go to probably the German, the German chocolate yeah. cake. Uh, and a rule just from the Matt Townsend show, I wouldn't kick a fruit cake. Yeah, that um, I tried to find yeah find video of that, but like the the cracking of the guy's foot. Just, yeah, it's it pretty was, nauseating. Yeah, don't kick fruit cakes. They're not meant to be kicked. They're meant to just be thrown away. So uh, we will take a break, folks. Come back, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about why people are starting to believe in UFOs again, almost as a faith, as a religion. It's interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Look up in the sky. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Well, we're not sure. Unidentified flying objects or UFOs and their extraterrestrial pilots have been disproved or have they? One presidential candidate has said they'll release whatever they find. Here to discuss why America's flip-flop belief in UFOs and the presidential candidate who may support further research is Professor Joseph Laycock. He's an assistant professor of religion, uh, religious studies at Texas State University. He teaches courses on world religions, religion in America, new religious movements, and the intersection of religion and pop culture. Dr. Laycock, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. We've, you know, we've been hearing a lot about um, you know, the Star Wars kind of uh, belief system as a religion and the force and Jedi practices. And then also more and more, I guess, kind of extreme religions like forecasting. I guess it's probably been commonplace historically, the the end of the world and extraterrestrials. What is going on when it comes to uh, UFOs today and and people believing in them more and more? Well, the, the piece that I wrote for the conversation was, was addressing an older piece that came out in 2006, and it said, basically, nobody believes in UFOs anymore, and that's because of the Internet, because on the Internet you have enough people talking that reason always wins in the end. And so <laughs> people who believe in UFOs, once they go online and they meet the, the rational, skeptical people, they can't deal with their arguments, and so UFOs die out. Uh, and now we know that doesn't seem to be true. Right. Um, we do polls from time to time asking how many people uh, believe in UFOs, and it's usually about uh, a quarter of the population. And lately one poll has showed that that spiked up to 45%, which is uh, significantly high. Yeah. So in religious studies, this is something we hear all the time, right? Oh, science kills, kills anything um, smacking of the supernatural or religious or, or the paranormal science always wins in the end. And what we keep finding in sociological studies of religion is that simply isn't true, right? An individual 
church might uh, lose some of its clout, but something else will come up and, and take its place, even if that's something like uh, saying you're a Jedi, right? right. Um, even if it's something that comes from from pop culture. But it's like a, it's a new mythology, so uh, you're kind of saying it rotates, huh, that um – I guess religions, this becomes a replacement for people's religions as kind of a a mythology they can believe in. That's right. And I I should say something. I I got some nasty emails over this article from some UFO researchers, and somebody even put on Reddit, uh, Laycock thinks if you believe in UFOs, you're dumb. Mm. Uh, I I don't say that in the article. I don't think people who believe in UFOs are dumb, and I am not qualified to assess what people are actually seeing, right? That's a scientific question. I right. think culture, not, not natural phenomena. Um, so when I say mythology, I don't mean in terms of it's a myth, it's not true. I mean it's a story to live by, Yeah. right? Just, just like the book of Genesis is, amongst other things, whether you believe it's a historically true story or not, is a story about the nature of human innocence and obedience and, and all these other sort of important questions. So in that sense, um, you know, the idea of UFOs are kind of a story to live by, right? What is our place uh, in, in the universe. And so when the, the UFOs began to be seen in um, really around 1947 was sort of the considered to be the beginning of this, this phenomenon, it was tied up with the Cold War, with people worried about nuclear weapons mm. and the end of the world. And there were UFO religions. People began saying, you know, the, the UFOs have come to help save us from ourselves. They've come to prevent nuclear war. And certain people said, I can talk to them telepathically, or they visited me in my home. And they actually began really fully organized UFO religions by the 1950s. Isn't that interesting? And you, it, it's also funny that the feedback you got about um, people who believe in UFOs are stupid. Well, that same claim of people that believe in religion, many would say are stupid. And that's, yeah. So it's, that's it, right. it parallels, that, right? It does parallel. And I, and I think that you know, both of these emails that I got, they began – you know, um, UFOs aren't a belief, right? They're something people either are convinced by the evidence or they're not. So the real objection was, you're in religious studies, right? You have no business talking about UFOs because that's a fundamentally separate uh, phenomenon. But uh, there's no actual definition of what constitutes religion and, and, and what doesn't. So, right. I mean, it's uh, a belief I, I set. Right. To study whatever interests me. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Well, and exactly because who would have ever thought that. A Star Wars uh, story would have eventually become a belief system, and you know, or even a a, a mythological fo- have a mythological faith following. So, talk about it. Talk about the, the who's the presidential candidate, by the way, that want that would release the UFO information. Well, it's, it's no secret, right? Hillary Clinton went on the the Jimmy Kimmel show and said, you know, if I am elected, I'm going to find out what's going on at, at Area 51, and I'm going to. Uh, disclose, uh, and, you know, some people that uh, the Clintons have been tied to are kind of interested in um, lobbying for the government to reveal whatever it knows uh, about UFOs, assuming it does know anything. Um, so what's interesting to me is that uh, in the past, political candidates who have talked about UFOs, even very minor things like uh, the Phoenix Lights incident, some strange lights were seen, and a yeah. candidate said we should put together a committee and find out what those lights were. I don't think that's unreasonable. Right. Um, but, but usually in American politics, or at least in the past, if you did that, uh, your opponent might you know, show up with tinfoil hats <laughs> on their head and really take you to task, right? Really try to portray you as, as crazy. 
Uh, and with Clinton, for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Um, so that means that our conversation about these things has, has shifted. And maybe you don't sound crazy if you talk about uh, finding out what's going on in Area 51 or, or, or things like this. So that's, that's politically significant. I think that's interesting. That That is. What, what else are you learning? Like when you see it as a as a, it's because it's a cultural phenomenon. And as you're saying, as you're explaining, since the '40s on, it, it started kind of as a fear movement, um, aliens coming to invade, Cold War kind of you know terror behind it. What and then now where we could and then you know weird. You're just weird if you think of UFOs. You're an idiot if you believe in UFOs to today where a presidential candidate's talking about it. What What's happening to the rest of the population? Are we is, – is it the internet that's starting to further this mythology or where's that coming from? I think the internet definitely plays a factor. I don't think that the internet leads to people uh, ceasing to believe in paranormal phenomena at all. I think you know anyone now can – go on YouTube and, and look at all kinds of videos of allegedly paranormal phenomena and decide what they think is, is happening. I think it's a huge platform for disseminating um, things like UFO sightings and, and so forth. Um, so, uh, so I think the Internet is definitely fueling sort of what's sometimes called re-enchantment, right, in the sociology of religion, a renewal uh, of, of paranormal uh, ideas. The other thing that's interesting is that... Um, you know, when people claim science is killing religion, one thing that seems to be happening is individual churches are, don't have the same kind of influence um, that they did in the past. We have data showing uh, church attendance at sort of the major mainline Protestant churches is down, and that seems to coincide with more people believing in uh, um, so-called supernatural or paranormal phenomena, partly because the churches were condemning this sort of thing. Right? Mm-hmm. The churches were saying... Don't go ghost hunting, right? Don't uh, don't read books about ESP. This is superstition. This is not what we should be doing. Um, so, ironically, if science has weakened the institutional churches, it's kind of freed people to explore these things without anyone kind of looking over their shoulder. Yeah. Do is there an inherent kind of human need to to believe in something bigger than us? I think that there is, and this is a question in um, in religious studies. Um, Mircea Eliade was sort of a founder of religious studies in the 1960s, and he coined the term homo religiosus. Right? He, he really believed that human beings have this uh, driving driving goal to kind of impose order or meaning on, on the universe, uh, and so science is very good at answering um, kind of why questions, but but can't answer sort of um, it, it can't sort of organize the world, can't tell us our, our place in the universe. So that has to come from something else. Uh, and for religious people, it can come from their religious tradition. And for people who are kind of spiritual but not religious or are just sort of seekers, that can come from a wide variety of, of sources. And I think um, the possibility of life on other planets or UFOs can be one of those sources. That's fascinating. And as you as you think about the mythology the ufology, I think they call it, um, does it break also into camps, you know, like other religious movements or other, you know, mythology? Does it break into different types of ufologists? Absolutely. So, you know, when you had the first reports of UFOs in the 40s and 50s, the assumption, uh, including from people like the U.S. Air Force, was these are physical metal crafts, 
and they could be from another planet, although I think the Air Force was more concerned that they could be Soviet, right? Yeah. Could be some kind of secret Soviet uh, uh, plane. And uh, after a while, um, some people in the UFO field, like um, John Keel, who was featured in the movie The Mothman Prophecies, and Jacques Vallée, said, uh, I think what people are seeing is real, but I don't think it is a a mechanical craft that came through another, you know, from another planet. I think that these are kind of more spiritual entities, right? That they kind of exist in another sort of parallel dimension and they Mm. can somehow become physical and then, and then disappear. Uh, And so John Keel, who began as a UFO researcher by the end of his life said, I'm a demonologist. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out that UFOs and religion may not be two separate phenomena after all. What we call UFOs today may have been angels or apparitions of the Virgin Mary or, or demons in, in the past. Um, so that's, that's pretty interesting because that, that means it could mean something very different to study UFOs if, mm-hmm. if you're thinking of them as, as supernatural entities as opposed to mechanical craft. It's so interesting, too, because everyone's just trying to make meaning, right? They're trying to make meaning for their life and and for these experiences that some have had. They're trying to make it fit some knowledge base that they may not have, you know, a, a nail to hang it on. That's right. In a weird way, you know, what we what we do on religi- in religious studies is not so different from what the, some of these ufologists are doing. So... If you watch shows like Ancient Aliens and they are looking at these ancient cultures around the world and they're trying to show that basically everything impressive that humans have ever made has been uh, produced by alien visitors. Um, but they're looking for patterns, right? They're looking across cultures and they're trying to find some kind of theory that unites everything. And in a way, that's kind of what religious studies is, right? We right. sort of assume that there's this thing out there called religion, that probably every culture has it. Uh, and then we go looking for it, and we make claims about what we found, and then and then we fight each other about it. We say, "No, your theory is wrong. It's it's not like that. It's it's more like this." So, right. in a weird way, we are kind of cousins to the ufologists trying to make sense of the world. And I, I like that. I mean, I like too that you can put it in the same category as you know, in, in mythology, and trying to trying to forge uh, some, I guess, pattern that we can live by. We'll we'll take a break. We're speaking with Doctor Joseph Laycock, all about. Uh, ufology and how it might be becoming a, a new mythology or a new or a uh, or a new religion even in some ways of uh, stating that we'll take a break come back continue the discussion this is the matt townsend show we'll be back Townsend Show. Why are people starting to believe in UFOs again? That's the topic of the conversation. Dr. Joseph Laycock joins us. He is an assistant professor of religious studies at Texas State University, where he teaches courses on world religion, new religious movements, and the intersection of religion and pop culture. Dr. Joseph Laycock also wrote an article that we've been citing and talking about in theconversation.com. called uh, Why Are People Starting to Believe in UFOs Again? Dr. Laycock, welcome back to the show, and thank you for being with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. 
Interesting subject, um, because you are uh, a religious studies professor. What you're telling us is that the kind of the the UFO phenomenon and people believing in extraterrestrials and and chasing the UFO um, stories and I guess mythology it, it is it is paralleling kind of the creation of of religion. And I looked up uh, UFO religion on Wikipedia. There are many religions that are already kind of cited as as being UFO religions. One that many may not necessarily think about as that is Scientology. That's right, yeah. Scientology is, um, you know, a, a pretty controversial um, religion and um, very secretive. And, of course, because you're secretive, people can kind of say whatever they, they, they want about it. But right. the founder was uh, a science fiction writer, right? L. Ron Hubbard wrote uh, science fiction, wrote uh, kind of space opera sort of stories long before he founded uh, the, the Church of Scientology. Uh, and so people like, uh, there's a book uh, by an author named uh, Hugh Urban in Religious Studies who have, have looked at these connections. Um, but um, supposedly at the, the higher levels of Scientology, some of these uh, uh, stories by L. Ron Hubbard are, are kind of taken uh, more literally. So when you see people online talking about uh, an alien named Lord Zenu in kind of um, Scientology literature. This is uh, supposedly from one of L. Ron Hubbard's stories that you may or may not sort of learn about in the upper echelons of the of the Scientology movement. Uh, but all throughout the 1950s, right, people were sort of trying to make sense of uh, uh, religion and UFOs. So alongside Scientology, there were groups like... Um, uh, the Aetherius Society and the Unarian Soci- Academy of Science. I mean, these were all groups that said uh, the UFOs are coming, they're going to change the world for the better, hmm. uh, and kind of rallied around these people who said that they were the ones who could could talk to our space brothers and could kind of communicate with them. So they became, in a way, sort of UFO prophets. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that some of the kind of hardcore UFO researchers uh, are very embarrassed by these groups. Right. right? And say, Which well, is why you got the pushback. That's right. And, and you are sort of these new agers creating a, a, a distraction. But for someone like me who studies culture, those groups are pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. And and and, I, and you don't want to just say, oh, they're just crazy. But that that is, I guess, part of the problem. What I like about what you're telling us, though, is it, whether it's um, UFOs, or just some other trend that is going on in pop culture, people can replace the the situation that's going on in their life with uh, with mythology or with religion and use it as their kind of guiding source of light. I mean, don't we see that with some really popular speakers that are kind of new age speakers that have a more of a cult following? Oh sure, yeah. Um, you know, and this is this is a really fun conversation that I have with my students about what actually constitutes uh, a, a religion and what's just sort of a cult of of celebrity. Uh, so in a, my course on religion and film, we look a little bit at uh, Jediism, like mm-hmm. people who say their religion is is Jedi, and it seems that most of these people do not literally believe that they can, you know, do any of the Jedi powers from the movies, and they understand that it's it's just a movie. Uh, but they claim, you know, this is really serious. I really think that uh, Jedi ought to exist, even even if they don't. And there's been some interesting legal cases where they've said, uh, you know, I got thrown out of a store for shopping in my Jedi robes, and that's that's religious discrimination. So right. it's fun to talk with my students about should we, 
should we have uh, religious freedom for the Jedi's or or not? But isn't there a, there was a religion somewhere in Great Britain? I think um, where they wear colanders on their heads. Oh, Pastafarians. Yeah, Pastafarians, yeah. right, which of course began, <laughs> Pastafarians began as a protest of uh, teaching intelligent design in yeah. science class. Okay. And, and so it began as a joke, uh, but now it seems to be quite serious, right? So um, there's and, also this element of, of play with creating new religious movements that I think people are kind of a, a surprised that this can be something playful because we think of religion as being something uh, very, very serious all the time. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's that's it. And so, as a as a religious scholar, what does the purpose of religion? What does it serve? What what is the purpose of religion versus you know playing to get your and trying to get attention so that your cause can be picked up versus uh, you know people that just want to wear an outfit to a store? Right. Well. Um, you know, religion is, is much older than the American Constitution, right? It's only because of the American Constitution that there's any value in sort of claiming um, that what you're doing is, is a religion, right? Before that, there was, there was kind of no system to be gained, uh, as, as it were. So we're talking about what is the purpose of religion. That's a much bigger, much older question. I think um, in, in that case, but probably what we call religion is part of something much broader, where human beings kind of to understand the world, kind of make order together. You know, I think that societies form um, religions or something that functions like a religion, um, basically through the same mechanisms through which they construct languages, right? We have to be able to talk to each other, yeah. and we have to kind of be on the same page about, uh, about reality, right? So whether yeah. that's we all agree that there's a God and we should try to obey God's law, or... Um, you know, we have some sense of, of, of stories that, that we ought to, to live by. Um, so I, I think that we are hardwired for religion or something that closely resembles religion. Yeah, and I guess, too, that then I want to associate with like-minded people so that my life and world seem a little more predictable. We can, we can build strength together. Um, it's powerful. And the neat thing, I think, with technology is you can further your message and your communication – and share it more with people and create a community online or in other ways through technology. Well, that's right. You know, people often forget that the Protestant Reformation probably wouldn't have gotten very far if it weren't for the invention of the printing press. Right. Right. And so the, the Internet kind of does for new religions today what uh, the printing press did for Martin Luther. No matter how strange your ideas seem at the time, uh, you can you can reach a much bigger audience. What do we do um, as we as we wrap this up? What, as a dad... What do you suggest I teach my kids when it comes to helping them sort through all of these alternative options, some of which are just movements and some of them are actually turning into religions and some of them are just an exploration of science? How do I help them sort through all of these and find a healthy you know, balance? Wow, that's, <laughs> that's a tough question. I don't want to give you the wrong advice. Cause <laughs> I will I come after there. you. I know where you live, Joseph. That's, that's right. Well, one thing that I, I deal with a lot, I used to be a high school teacher, and, and teaching about religion, something I hear from parents all the time is, you can't teach my kids about this stuff or they'll convert to some other religion. Mm. Uh, and I have to say, I've never once seen that happen. Yeah. I've never once had a student who we, we do 
Islam 101 or Buddhism 101, and they say, that's it, I'm, I'm changing my religion. So I actually think that kind of there's no harm in knowing about um, how other people see the world, and probably the more kind of religions and cultures and historical periods uh, people, people learn about, the more they get kind of a big picture and a more balanced perspective on, uh, on what actually is, is going on here. So I think that um, uh, variety in all things can, can help to cultivate wisdom. I agree. And, and, and you can too, Sharon, your view and kind of let, let the, let their minds be open to others. Um, I think there's a kids are a lot smarter than we maybe give them credit for. And and by the way, our examples and the peace that we bring from our our religious beliefs, uh, you know, sell as well. So, Dr. Joseph Laycock, thank you so much for being with us and for your great insight on this. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate you. Good having you. We'll take a break, my friends. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have to finish discussing batarangs. You're not going to want to miss this. Terry's going to enlighten us on uh, how Superman created the battering. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Earlier we were talking about batarangs, and then we got sidetracked on Superman cakes. Um, here's the deal. Terry, I need your your special uh, mind. Yes, um, on it, it's this. an ability. It's a skill. Yeah, we can so, characterize yeah. it no, that way seriously. if you like. Yeah. Dozens would say that, and so um, dozens, dozens worldwide. <laughs> okay, so Batman yes. had a little boomerang thing mm-hmm. called a boomerang thing. See, Batman doesn't use guns. He doesn't right. kill people. Well, now in the movies, apparently he does. But the whole like run of the comics, his parents were killed. Right. He refuses to kill. He won't kill. Which is very helpful because if you don't take out your enemies, then they go to prison and break out and you get more comic books. Right. Right. So that's kind of the idea there. So he doesn't kill. So he needed something else to be able to use as a weapon. He used a battering. There you go. Wow. Now, the battering is a... I heard that Superman and Batman sat down having popcorn, watching a movie. All right. And Sounds like a YouTube video. I've seen. And Batman was talking about how he's he kind of gets beat up a bit because mm. he doesn't have a gun. Right. And Superman said, well, why don't you make a boomerang and that'll stop people? And Batman said, OK. Mm. And Superman said, let me make it for you. Where did you hear this? It was in one of the Marvel comics. It wasn't. But go ahead. This isn't how any of this happened. But go ahead. Is it true that Superman is the first one to forge out of titanium? It was tungsten, but no. Out of tungsten. It wasn't tungsten. That he he personally mined out of tungsten ore out of a mountain in China. Vibranium. Those are all comic book metals, but go ahead. Is it true that Superman invented it? No. And then Batman stole it? No. Not true. Okay. Well, this is getting a big story today because now all of the Comic-Con kids go buy batarangs. Yeah, people make these. Little boomer, little stars. They're that, sharp on the ends. Yeah. They're, they're, bas- they're th- like throwing they throw stars, stars, but in the form of a bat. 
And you now, buy them at Comic Con in in uh, San Diego or wherever they yeah, have these events. You're spending a lot of money on tungsten batterings, <laughs> and then you can't get them through TSA. TSA checks. and TSA says no more. Don't bring any more batterings. You can bring lassos of truth. <laughs> you can bring yeah. uh, Spidey gloves. Yeah, web shooters. You can do that. No problem. You can bring. By the way, Robin can bring his entire belt. Yeah, because Batman no... can't bring his belt because he's nonviolent. Except he has a battering, battering with a really sharp with sharp edges. Yeah, you're telling me he's he's not violent, but the battering looks seriously violent. Oh, oh, he'll... so violent that TSA does not allow. He'll beat Batman's... you up. He'll beat you up, but he won't kill you. Okay. He, he has a line. He has a personal code. Until now. Then Ben Affleck went in and ruined it. So, here's the deal. Answer me this: We've yeah. only got a few minutes. A minute. True. Um, why does Batman have all of the cool stuff on his belt? Because he has no powers. Why does Robin only have chapstick on his belt? Because Robin is very odd. <laughs> we'll put it that way. He's a strange little guy. That seems kind of rude. Yeah, I was going to say beauty products, but. Because yeah, he seems more, more to care about like his hairdo when yeah. I read about him. But now it's different because they're onto like the fourth Robin. Yeah, and they just did a little crazy because he came from the League of Shadows. He's kind of a ninja type thing, so it's kind of. Well, we appreciate your insight, Terry. No, you don't. And your little walk down Nerd Road. Nerd Road. So if you're going to the airport, please check your bat belt. And uh, as you get out of your Batmobile, it's called, it's called the utility belt. It's not a Bat belt. If you happen to be riding the Bat cycle, there you go, or the Batapod, mm, that was one of the cars. They kind of called it the Batpod. Make sure you leave your uh, Batarang in your Batpod. We'll take a break. One more hour coming up. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program, and it's Friday. So uh, it's getting close for everybody that weekend. So do you have any plans for the weekend? Apparently, I have three weddings. Oh boy! Receptions to go to. Why? I don't know. Do you give like quality gifts? Uh, I give my book, the highest quality gift one can give. Wow! You just give him a book? Well, it's signed and personally, like a message. Yeah. Okay. Well, my mother's standing gift for receptions mm-hmm. is a power drill. Nice. That's a great gift. Mm-hmm. Because uh, nobody else is going to give who's it. Who's going to give you a power drill? And it's useful. I remember when my wife bought me a power drill, I realized right then she thinks I'm a man. Well. How many years had you been married? 22. Yeah. No, it was actually one of our first years. And I thought, that is a great gift. Cause, and I, I immediately like, give me the battery pack. Let me click that on. And I spent all day taking the battery on and off of that thing. I just felt like I was sticking a sticking a cartridge of bullets in. What do they call it? A clip clip, clip of yeah. clip of bullets. It's very, very manly. manly. Very manly. 
Anywho, um, we got a great show for you today. Today's August 5th, International Traffic Light Day. Mm. So as you're sitting there. Enjoy me a good traffic light. Yeah. Yeah. Just take it in and just look at it and say, thank you, traffic light, for keeping me safe. (laughs) For delaying my travel yet again. Thank Mm. you. You light up my life. And it's also work like a dog day. Who let the dogs out? Who? 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 <laughs> Are you saving that one up? Or no, is that I just of thought of that. Okay. And honestly, I'm glad, you didn't, I'm glad you didn't plan it. I, I yeah, just wish somebody else planning. would think of things like this so we'd have music for it. I don't know. I, I got chastised for my music class. I don't know. You guys so. had a meeting yesterday, right? You two sat down and... Is that what you call it? I don't know. I, I you guys were sitting at therapy. your desk. I said bye and walked away. It's turned more into watching YouTube videos than anything else. Well, there's that. Yeah. Matt has... You're watching... I'm very visual. There was a, a moment you're watching like people at concerts who would get into mosh pits yeah. and get hurt. You because thought it was kind of funny. Well, I learned about mosh pits and then I went and studied them. Then you're watching some car accident type videos. Mm-hmm. What it is is motorcycle wreck videos. Because <laughs> I usually will like look up one video from the show, and then that all of a sudden leads me to other shows yes. or other videos. Last week, for example, I started watching um, karma videos, <laughs> where people that are a jerk then they have a video of someone else being a jerk to them. And it's like they're a jerk, and like immediately something bad happens. Mm-hmm. I love those. And then you go, ha, ha, and move on. And they're about 10 minutes. And luckily, there was only like a series of 30 of them. Oh, right. So you can get through that. Yeah. I, I Yeah. I'm only halfway through. But I mean, honestly, we wouldn't have the news coverage of medieval world champion, combat well, champions. Without me. Without didn't, me. Didn't I have, a, didn't I supply the story? Didn't I find no, the content I, that we used to find that? No, I or, think I brought up the video. We'd never have. Found the ugly dog song. Uh huh. The, these, these are all true. Or the ugly or the, the, go, or the Katy Perry song, song yeah. by Katy Perry. You cr- continue your uh-huh. work process. Apparently, That's it's exactly, working for the show. It's exactly what I'm doing. Okay. So we will. Uh, we've got a lot to do in this hour. We've got obviously we're going to um, give you the latest and greatest headlines. Uh, and and who better to help us with the headlines than Caitlin Thomas? Caitlin. Thanks, Matt. A new poll released on Thursday shows Hillary Clinton has opened her biggest polling lead against Donald Trump yet to date. The poll, conducted after the conclusion of both parties' nominating conventions, shows Clinton holding a 15-point lead in a head-to-head matchup against Trump, polling 48% support to his 33%. Earlier polls Thursday also showed Clinton holding leads in the key states of Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, Florida, and Michigan. But during a Thursday afternoon news conference at the Pentagon, President Obama seemed dumbfounded at Donald Trump's suggestion that the general election could be, quote, rigged, calling the mere suggestion ridiculous. After giving an update on the fight against ISIS, Obama took questions from reporters, many of whom asked about Trump and his recent controversial statements. Um, President Obama said, I don't even really know where to start on answering this question. Of course, the elections will not be rigged. The president added that the feds will do everything possible to maintain the integrity of this election. The mayor of Fairfax City, Virginia, was arrested early Friday after police say he tried to give drugs to undercover detectives in exchange for sexual intercourse. The operation began in late July, where the department's organized crime and narcotics division received a tip about a methamphetamine distributor. Two other men were arrested in connection with the case. As alleged suppliers, all three men were taken to the Fairfax County Jail and then turned over to the Fairfax County Sheriff's Office. And here's your last update for the day, Matt. Okay. 
declaring that the mafia is not just the stuff of movie scripts. Federal prosecutors charged nearly four dozen people Thursday with being part of an East Coast crime syndicate, including an old school mobster in New York and a reputed mob chieftain in Philadelphia who has been pursued by the government for decades. The indicate unsealed in New York City accuses the defendants of a litany of classic mafia crimes. The syndicate operated in operated in New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Florida, and New Jersey. What? It's back. So bad, but cool. I thought people, I thought Giuliani ran them all out, and I thought Chris Christie ran them all out. Well, they probably ran them underground. Yeah. They ran them. It never actually goes away. It never goes away. It's like when the posse chases the bad guys, and then the posse tires. And you want them to be caught because then they make movies about it. Oh, yeah. Some of the best movies come Could from. be. So just know, sure, the mafia is back, but good movies will be coming soon. <laughs> That's exciting. Hey, speaking of movies, we will also be speaking with Rod Gustafson uh, today, um, talking about the upcoming movies being released to, in fact, Suicide Squad and Nine Lives. We'll get to that. You know what Nine Lives is? is it seems like it'd be something about a cat. Yeah, it's not good. Is it a cartoon? Yeah, no. It's okay. live action, but okay. you got Kevin Spacey. Okay. Who, uh, through some mystic spell of some kind, gets put into a cat. Oh, I saw I saw a little preview on that. And you watch it and you're like, I thought Kevin Spacey did like real acting. I, I thought he's one of the greatest actors shows. ever. And now he's a white cat. Yeah. So, well, it, we pe- love cats. People feel as if maybe he's doing this because uh, he had a certain number of pictures that he needed to make for the company, and they're making him do this, so it's against his will. It's not really uh, something he would normally do. Kevin, you know how you're used to being the president and everything? Um, this time, we're going to have you be a cat. You're a cat now. Everyone's like, Not what? any cat. A white, puffy cat. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We will get to BYU Sports Nation as well, do the hero story on top of it all, and wrap it up so you can go have a great weekend and get your potty started. Uh, where are we going to go first here today, Terry? Because there's there's a lot of places we could go, and I'm wondering if if there's any way we could move or maneuver forward without mentioning the name Donald or Hillary. Absolutely. Have, have you got anything that doesn't mention Donald or Hillary? New research. From the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. Yes. It says the average American is more than 15 pounds heavier than two decades ago. Totally. And with the exception of young boys, they aren't any taller. Oh, I thought we were just all getting bigger, taller, stronger. The new stats come out of the CDC, which found that the average American man now weighs 195 pounds, Hmm. 15 pounds more than the late 80s and early 90s, and the average American woman... Which I don't know how they get this number because it's it never you're not supposed polite to ask, to ask a, lady, a question. Right? But they're saying that the average American woman now weighs 168 pounds, up 16 pounds over the past 20 years. Wow. Uh, you know what? It's good to know I'm almost average. Waistlines have increased over that period of time. Mm-hmm. The average uh, the the BMI of the average man is about 28.9. The average woman 28.8, near the official obesity level of 30. The average man is about five foot nine. Mm-hmm. The average American woman is five four. Those heights are unchanged over the past two decades. However, average eleven year old boys are now one inch taller and thirteen pounds heavier 
than their counterparts 20 years ago. The largest weight gains between now and then were seen in men between the ages of 60 and 69 and women between 20 and 29. Wow. Yeah. This is me. Yeah. I am officially average. There's no reason for the increase, but an expert who describes it as a fairly rapid rate of weight gain tells uh, this website that less exercise and more calorie-heavy foods are to blame. So uh, I think we eat food. But you know what? Let me see. This That's kind of a Debbie Downer um, article. A little bit, yeah. Let me lift it up a little bit. But by... it's, it doesn't have the keywords that you were mentioning. It qualified. Totally. Yeah, there you go. I also want everyone to know that, sure, we've gained 15 pounds on average. However, we've also discovered that we have a Twinkie that lasts 40 years. Wow. So we have both. So this isn't all bad. And to be honest, that's just 15 more pounds to love. And Exactly. Wow. Um, by the way, another study from Cambridge says that um, when you're overweight, it ages your brain by about 10 years. I saw this yesterday, yeah. Right? So if you have a body mass index, which on the show we don't believe in. No, it's evil. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's misguided. It doesn't work in my favor. Uh, and above 25, the body mass index above 25, you, then you are parts of your brain are going to shrink. Mm-hmm. You're going to have shrinkage and a higher risk of cognitive decline and dementia. Wow. Well, hey, there's that to look forward to. Right? So, or not, depending on. Sure, not only are you gaining weight, but your brain is shrinking. Hmm. The double whammy. Yeah. Which is another reason, I think, to eat some more Twinkies. Twinkies don't shrink, even after 40 years. Which could be a caution, cautionary tale, (laughs) or... Sure. A bonus, depending on your love Depends and affinity for right. Twinkies. Uh, Kim Jong-un. Yeah. The uh, the other Kim Jong. The president, chief potentate, most glorious leader, however they want to put it, leader of North Korea. Yes. He is ordering his generals that in, within the next 10 years, he wants to land on the moon. He himself? The country. Oh, I think they'd love to put him on the moon. They want North Korean astronauts. On the moon in the next 10 years. Really? Yeah. Shouldn't we feed our people first? I'm just saying. I, I don't know. It's a good goal. I think that might be debatable. I'm yeah. not sure. Well, by the way, why, why wouldn't that happen? It is the country that has unicorns. They apparently do. If he can find a unicorn lair, then he can easily get his people to the moon. Did he say, do those people have to live? Or can, does he just have to shoot them to the moon? I don't know if they, they're talking about return mission, uh-huh. like come back from yeah. the moon, but okay. they want to be able to plant the, set, the North Korean flag on the moon. Okay. So I'm not sure how they are going to do that, but uh, that's the goal. Just no, it's going to happen. Okay. We talked uh, yesterday off the air. Mm-hmm. You found this one to be interesting. Sasha Obama. Yeah. She has apparently taken a job at a seafood restaurant – do you want to biggie size that? Near Martha's Vineyard. Her uh, her family goes there when they're on vacation. This is so smart. They go there and they're, they they frequent this restaurant. So she got a job there. Isn't Sasha the younger one? I believe so. She's, She's like, 15 years yeah. old. She's the younger one. And they sent her early with a contingent of six Secret Service and some yeah. adults. And she's now working 
at this seafood shop. So she's learning the ropes of the service industry at the uh, Oak Bluffs Eatery this week, working as a ca- at a cash register, busting tables, prepping the restaurant before it opens. She uh, has been working downstairs with their their takeout service. Mm-hmm. So a lot of different jobs that she's doing, but they're making her work a summer job. Yeah, which is such that a great idea. And you can imagine what it's like to order from someone with Secret Service around them. Right. Well, that's what they're saying. There's six, a contingent of six Secret Service agents who sit outside the restaurant in a large SUV. Um, they... Uh, they, they, they. She's out uh, taking orders in the car, and all like two of the Secret Service guys are just you know right near her. They're right in view. So, <laughs> anyone that has any thoughts or anything, they, they, there's these really strong, burly guys back there with their dark sunglasses on to, <laughs> I guess, give the proper amount of intimidation there. So, but if they're um, looking at you, don't you think you'd order healthier? Maybe, maybe you think that they're <laughs> they're they're vetting your your order to make sure you don't order. Something you don't want smothered fries with that there, pal. Try salad. And my story of the day. What? This is up in uh, Missouri. The governor of Missouri has cut the budget to the public defender's office. Why? So they, I, for whatever reason, I'm not sure. But okay. he, in doing so, they're having a hard time staffing the you know the needs of people who need the public serv- public defender's office. You go to court, you don't have a lawyer, they will provide one for you. That's the public defender's office. Yeah. So they're running short, they can't staff everyone. So by law, they can draft any any attorney to be represent to represent somebody. Okay. So what does the the director of the public defender's office do after the governor cuts the budget? He then goes and tells the governor that uh, by law, I am now drafting you to defend this guy that doesn't have a lawyer. So now the, the governor is probably trying to fight it, but he is supposed to go to court to be a public defender. I'm kind of busy here running the state. Well, you made a law, sir. <laughs> so the guy turns it back on the governor. I'm assuming, and, and they're opposite parties. Probably. So the governor withheld $3.5 million in caseload relief funding while reporting, reportedly leaving other executive agencies largely untouched. Probably some budgetary type considerations wow. going on, but yeah, he he sent a note telling the governor that uh, as director of the public defender system, I can only hire attorneys when I have the funding to do so. Therefore, I appoint you, Jeremiah W. J. Nixon, who's the governor, puts down his bar association number to oh. enter an appearance as counsel for the record in the attached case. Very truly yours, and he's the director. Unbelievable! That's cool. <laughs> Smart accountability. Yeah, you gotta love it. Accountability. Awesome. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, an interview with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. We're talking movies, folks. The movies that are going to be released, and he's going to walk us through a parent's guide on these movies so you can determine if you want your kids to be watching these. Stick with us. Interesting fun coming up. We'll be back. A short flight made history as NASA researchers successfully delivered medical supplies, all while... Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, which means it's time to talk to our good buddy at Parent Previews. Rod Gustafson joins us. He's a film critic specializing in looking at movies and media from a parent's perspective. And it's great because you go to his website and you can find out as a parent if this is a show your kids ought to watch and 
really, he's just going to inform you about sex, violence, drugs, rock and roll, everything you need to know so you're ready. Rod, thanks for being with us, my friend. Well, you're welcome, Matt. We haven't done a whole lot of rock and roll in the I know. you got to get on that. You really should add that. Yeah. I know. You're missing the rock and roll whole genre. We are. you got to right. get into that. Hey, two movies, apparently, we're going to review uh, Suicide Squad and Nine Lives. Which one, which one should we start with? Well, let's start with Suicide Squad, but I, I, and then I really hope we have a couple of minutes for Nine Lives. Yeah, we will. Again. Both of these movies, Matt, are just getting really ripped apart uh, by the popular culture critics. And I say the popular culture critics because we kind of go down a different path than they do sometimes. But not on Suicide Squad. On this one, we're agreeing. And maybe we're agreeing for different reasons. But uh, looking at it both artistically and from a parent's perspective, this this really is a difficult choice, um, meaning that, well, no, actually, it isn't difficult. Just don't go see it. You know, <laughs> this is one that you can pass up on and you can save your money. Um, what this is, this is another comic book entity. Suicide Squad is from DC Comics, and it is being released through Warner Brothers. I think that parents may be getting a little confused and maybe even a little burned out like I am from all these comic book movies that are being brought brought to movie screen. The Marvel comics that Disney is um, producing and distributing, for the most part, this is some of those ones that we've been relatively pleased with and even really enjoyed. We're finding that DC comics that are coming through Fox and Warner are quite a bit darker, hmm. and they take themselves a lot more seriously as well. And uh, and so, and Suicide Squad falls into that. Now, we've been we've been watching this movie for a few months. We were expecting it would come out with an R rating, especially after Deadpool, which was another DC comic. Or sorry, Deadpool is Marvel, but came through uh, Fox Studios earlier this year as an R rated movie, and it made a lot of money. And we thought, okay, this is going to change the comic book releases we'll see more of them with our ratings but this one is pg-13 but there um it's about a group of people who they're superheroes but they they're all criminals and they've used their superhero abilities in bad ways they're in this really super secure penitentiary but then an even badder foe comes <laughs> to the united states and he wants to take over the country and eventually the world and the only people that the American government can come up with that can stop him are this bunch of deadbeat superheroes. And so they let them out of jail, and they tell them that in exchange for clemency, they need to go fight this guy wow. on behalf of the government. So that's, that's the setup. Will, Will Smith is in this. He is. He is. And, you know, I think Will was having to make a decision between coming back to Independence Day, which we had a few weeks ago, or doing this movie. And uh, I don't know that he made the right decision. And and in fact, this movie struggles with a few things. First of all, on an artistic basis, he's got a huge cast of characters. And it's always very difficult to manage a big cast of characters and and give them enough screen time that you're not scratching your head wondering, well, why is that guy even in the movie? I think they paid so much money for Will, they give him a lot of screen time. And what he is, is he is able to shoot anyone or anything. He is an amazing shot with a gun. And that's why he's called Deadshot. Hmm. He is in prison because he's a hired killer. 
But we're supposed to somehow feel empathy for this guy because he's got a young daughter. She's often wondering where her dad is. And they they mentioned in the very first few minutes of the movie that she can't possibly stay with her mother. I'm thinking, come on, almost anybody would be better than the father that you've got. And it's really hard to feel empathy for Will Smith's character. And But that's who he plays. And they give him an, a disproportionate amount of time on the screen which kind of makes it difficult to even figure out who the other characters are. It really is a, a poorly made balancing act of a movie. And as I say, for for parents, there's a lot of violence in this that, that would be a concern about having young people watch it. But really negative role models there is almost even more concerning than the violence. And the role that women play in this movie, there are two female female characters. Both of them are under the psychological control of male characters, one of those male characters being the Joker from the Batman franchise. And um, and so, you know, the role models in here really are not good role models yeah. that, that, you know, and messages that are available for young viewers. Well, you know what, Rod? It actually parallels um, our political process down here where the country was so bad they had to go basically to jail to get a few really ruffians to come back and save the country. <laughs> Yeah, so I know, wonder if it I won't know. be a big hit. I think it's going to be, be a bigger hit, yeah. even though the critics are beating it up. You said I overall you gave it a C, C, C minus. C minus, yes. Um, what saved it from a D plus? I'm even wondering after we've come through this. Uh, it really, the violence is very sanitized. Um, there is not any blood. There's not any you know explicit details and that type of thing. Um, looking at it from that basis, we felt like, okay, it's not quite a D, but it was a long debate. But still, you know, uh, parents, this is one you can easily tell your kids to pass by. And I think as we look at the artistic reviewers who are also just ripping this to shreds, uh, I, I think that you'll have a pretty good argument in telling your kids, go find something else to watch. Yeah. Uh, by the way, operator Ben here, I mean, our, um, our engineer is going to, he was going to go to this with his brother. But now I think he's going to instead go to Nine Lives because he likes white cats. Talk about <laughs> <That's good. laughs> talk about Nine Lives for us. That again, it seems like Kevin Spacey's on board. This should be a big hit, but you know he's the voice of a cat, I guess. Yeah. So Nine Lives is a PG rated movie. We get very few PG rated movies anymore. This is almost an, an almost extinct movie rating. The G rating is the one that's really extinct. Um, and uh, so, first of all, we are going against the grain on this one. Right now, this movie has a zero on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the lowest mark that you can get. Wow. Now, in fairness, it was not screened for critics. And so the critics that are seeing it did what we did. We went to the Thursday night advance openings and went and saw this film. But this is what's interesting about what we have to remember when we listen to movie critics. The average movie critic is a 30-year-old male without kids. And they have a very difficult time relating to certain movie genres, and Nine Lives is one of those. Do you remember that darn cat with Dean Jones? Yeah. I don't know how old you are, yeah. Matt. Okay. Yeah. Well, Nine Lives really reminds me of that old Disney movie. And we, apparent previews, loved Nine Lives. We thought this was a really fun movie. Huh. It really harkens back to those 1960s Walt Disney movies. And I was really surprised. Setup is pretty straightforward. Kevin Spacey plays this uh, rich guy who is, he's wanting to build the tallest building in the world. And he's really involved with his work. 
However, he has not been the best father or husband. He's been neglecting his wife and he's been neglecting his daughter. So, you know, creativity, this is the Guilty Dad movie. We've had many other Guilty Dad movies over the years as well. Um, But what I appreciated about this film was that it allows, I don't really even know how to put it into words. It's a slow-moving movie in a good way. We are finding that so many movies that are targeting young people today that there is a real dependence on having an edit every two and a half seconds and having a loud blistering soundtrack to go along with it and the violence and everything else. And maybe we just love Nine Lives so much because it is just so different. If this movie would have come out 30 years ago, we would have said, so what? It's like every other movie. But it's one of those films that you can take your kids to and that they can actually have some time to get to know the characters and enjoy the, the crazy antics of Kevin Spacey when he winds up getting into placed into the body of a cat. And he needs to go buy a birthday gift for his daughter. And so what happens, he goes to this strange little pet shop that is owned by none other than Christopher Walken is playing the character that owns the pet shop. And he gives him this cat, and, he, and he, Christopher Walken plays this character who can, who can kind of see into other characters and understand what they're in need of. So he gives him this cat, and, and Kevin Spacey winds up, um, a long story, he winds up in a coma, and so he is living inside this cat and desperately wanting to communicate to his daughter and his wife and, of course, as the cat is wandering around the house, he starts to recognize all the things in life that he's been missing. So mm. it's a real heartwarming movie. Mm. We're giving it an A grade. That's well, great. Tomatoes is giving it a zero. So well, <laughs> yeah, and you know what? The deal is but that's that would be a great one to take my kids to and, and talk about it and just a little tell them about all my old experience with yeah, and that day and count. The young, the young audience we were sitting with really enjoyed it. That's good stuff. See, you did it again, Rod. Thanks for your work. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt. Everybody go check out parentpreviews.com and uh, review their great work there. Really a wonderful tool for a parent um, to make sure they, they know at least what their kids are watching. Stick with us, folks. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be doing a quiz on the Olympics. The opening ceremonies are tonight. You won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. back friends of the matt townsend show it's time to play a game a little uh, quiz game little quiz show game and joining us to help us with the quiz sadie nelson sadie hello hello mate how are you doing wonderful the olympics tonight are you big into olympic watching are you ready have you got your popcorn um i'm pretty much ready yeah i think i'm more excited for the opening ceremonies though are you yeah you know those are always big colorful loud mm-hmm. And then everything kind of goes downhill from there. Uh, what I like to do, because I was here for the Winter Olympics, I like to get on my um, toboggan. What do they call it? My toboggan. To- my tobogganing mm-hmm. uh, suit. It's really tight. And uh, I just sit and wear it all through the Olympics. Really? I get it on every night, watch the Olympics. Usually have to open it up, air it out. It's a little sweaty yeah. by, a, by about 11. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So tonight I just got to go see if it'll still fit. 
good luck with that. Let us know how it goes. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Appreciate your help. You're going to walk us through a quiz. Yes. Because this is a quiz show. It is a quiz show. So it's going to be Olympics. True or false? Just like the other quiz shows we've yes, done. Yes, I so, know this. are you ready for this? Hit it! Here we go. The first written record of the Olympics date back to 776 B.C., but the first revived Olympic Games took place in 1896. Uh, I will go with true. Absolutely. <laughs> I think you guessed on that one, though. Actually, I did. He's okay. looking for a sheet with all the answers, I just want to point yeah. out. Well, <gasps> from an article I read this morning about the Olympics. Oh. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no cheating. I won't cheat. This has to be your own knowledge. Yeah, this totally will be. Okay, next one. The United States has hosted the Olympic Games nine times. Mm, I will go with false. Absolutely. <laughs> has hosted them eight times, four for winter, four for summer. Wow, okay. All right, next one. The U.S. hosted the first Olympics in 1904 in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, is that a question? Yes. Um, no. Dun, 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 dun. Negative. It is true. What? Yes. I didn't know St. Louis had the Olympics. I didn't either, but That's cool. it's the truth. 1904. All right. They didn't have great coverage back then, you know. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. All right, next one. Uh, as of this year's Olympic Games, there are now 32 sports played. Actually, there are 30 sports played. Ooh. No, that is incorrect. Um, there are actually 42 sports played now. What? Increasing. The world just keeps getting better. The sports just keep getting better. I think you're lying on that one. Okay, maybe not I to, am slightly. Not to be rude. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Okay, next one. Golf and rugby were the two sports, two new sports added to this year's Olympic Games. Golf was added. Rugby was also added. Yes. Truth. Yes. After 112 years, golf is again an Olympic sport along with rugby sevens. And what isn't? Jousting, which Jousting. we are still pushing for. We, we are will... lobbying. We have set forth a petition with yes. uh, 100 signatures. You can uh-huh. sign our petition on Twitter. Just kidding. And if you can't, if you don't have a horse, you can do Vespas. You can do Vespa jousting. So many options Sounds nowadays. Fun. It's great. Okay, next one. The next Winter Olympics will be hosted in China in 2020. True. No. Oh, Ben. Hold on. Ben said I was right. <laughs> nope. It is false. Actually, yes, it is, no an, means it is no. an Asian country. I'll give you that. Okay, uh, would you give me which one it is? Which Asian country it will... I have no idea. It's Japan. Very oh, close. Right. Close to China, but it is Japan. Not, yeah, different. <laughs> Very different. Darn it. Okay. I've only, I mean, I've missed one now. It's okay. It's all right. You've got one more <laughs> okay. to balance out your score. Yeah. Okay, there will be three new sports added to the Olympics in 2020. Yes, there will be. False. Oh, I thought you were asking me. There will be five new sports added in the 2020 Olympics. Which this will is be... such an unfair test. <laughs> okay, which will be what? Baseball, softball, karate, sports, uh, sports climbing, whatever uh, that is, yeah. skateboarding, and surfing. Rick, that, isn't that six you just listed? Baseball, softball are um, included as one sport. One sport. That's at least what the Olympic Don't they use National two Committee different has done. Balls? I don't know. That's that's what they that's what they've said okay. though. Because I would say they're different. Okay, interesting. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That's a good update. So you're gonna be watching tonight? I'll be watching tonight. Hopefully you will be. I will too. for sure. If you want to use my toboggan suit. Um I, I will pass on that. 
your husband? But I super is he interested? Ask him. <sighs> I don't know. Ask him. I hose it out every time. If he wants to borrow it, he can borrow it anytime he wants. So because it's so old, you have to actually use a hose to clean it out because it's that like fragile? No, it's that. You can't use a washing machine? No, no. It's made of rubber. Oh. (laughs) It's a rubber suit. Wow. Sometimes I like to eat in it because it's just clean and when I'm wearing a suit, I like to get in and put my rubber suit on. Interesting. Good stuff. Hey, it's going to be a fun Olympics. Thanks for the quiz. Yeah. Sadie Nielsen, thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. It's winding down, folks. It's winding down. When this show's done, it's time for you to start celebrating the weekend. We'll be right back. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down So when negativity surrounds I know someday it'll all turn around Because all my life I've waited for Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. One of my favorite songs right there. A perfect song to lead us into our good buddies uh, downstairs at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matthew. What's going on? How are my boys? Partying. You guys partying hard? Fall camp is underway. 15 minutes into fall camp right now. Yeah, has it already started? I it's thought I sensed started. something different. The energy level? Mm-hmm. Football season, baby. Officially here. It's here. Okay, here's a question. By the way, this song, who can name the singer of this song? Turn it up again. Uh, that would be uh, Pitbull. Not Pitbull. <laughs> It's a hard name. It's a hard name. Matis Yahoo. Yahoo. Oh, his last name is Yahoo? No, that's his whole name. It's like Oprah, one name. Oh. So why I'm... Brazilian? I don't know what he is, what the nationality is. Orthodox Jew. Okay. He actually is. Is he, but is that where that name comes from? Um, Maybe. So it's Matis Yahoo. Matis Yahoo. But here's the cool story. Matis Mouse who? Matis Yahoo. Oh. He is he so he goes to Maui. He's living in Maui, I believe, hanging out. Uh, walks into a store, and what when he walks in, there's a guy playing like a uke singing this song while he's standing there. Okay, <laughs> and um, and we're gonna play the little audio for you. And then Matisyahu starts jumping in, singing parts. But while he's singing, this guy has no idea who he is. And they go through this entire set of, of this song, I mean, and then at the very end, Matis Yahu goes up and meets him, and the guy still doesn't know who he is. So he just sang his song with the originator of the song and didn't know who he was. Here's the sound. <laughs> It's the coolest video. You guys got to watch it. We'll post it on our Twitter feed. Please send it to us now. What would you do? What would you do if all of a sudden you're singing with a legend and don't even know it, and you're singing a song? <laughs> he's it, a legend. It was well on this in this song, oh. and he's. Um, it's the coolest thing too. At the very end, Matis Yahoo's like, "Yeah, that was a good job, good job." He goes, "You know, I wrote that song," and the guy's like, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, I, I wrote that song. I'm Matis Yahoo," and he's like, "You wrote that song." This is pretty classic. 
Cool, bro. So, you know, that's how I felt when I got the other day to go watch your show. And I, because I've always been pretending to be like you guys. Okay. And then when I got to be in your meetings and watch mm, your show. Compelling and rich. Jer- Jerem wasn't there, but I brought him bagels and then we ate him without him. <laughs> but I felt like I had met my heroes. And little did you know that we were the creators of that awesome Disappointment. What? <laughs> Big disappointment. Oh, wait. You knew that we were the creators. But yeah. still. You guys, are, you guys, in my mind, I don't care what you do. You're always my Matis Yahoo. <laughs> you don't care what other people say? A mm-hmm. one-hit wonder? What everyone else says? You are my... By the way, I found out he's a rapper. Wonders? I didn't know that. He's a, he's a rapper. He's a rapper? Mm-hmm. That song was written by a rapper. How is he a rapper? I have no idea. Okay. You know how I am with music. As in a W-R-A-P-P-E-R? He just says it. He's a rapper with an R. That's how he's a rapper. He's a rapper. Yeah, when you say you're a rapper, you're a rapper. Hey, guys, so the football season's underway. Let's go, yeah. Play ball. We're live to practice. Lauren Frankham's there watching it right now. We'll give you the latest. Are you guys going to shoot right down there when you're done? Yeah, and we'll head down there, yeah. Matt, 693 hours from game number one. Wow. Yeah, baby. So we're today's our fall camp preview show. Ed Lamb, assistant head coach, wow, safeties coach, special teams coordinator. He will join us uh, as well. That's Lauren good. Frankham live, potentially Taylor Sander of Team USA indoor men's volleyball live from Rio. Mm. As he prepares to go to the Maracanã for the opening ceremony. Hey, Maracanã. Now let's be real, Jerem. You've lived in Brazil. I didn't live in Rio, but yeah, I lived in Brazil. Yeah, I lived like like hey the the. Uh, <laughs> The Olympics are in Atlanta. It's like I was in like Milwaukee. Oh, okay. Or Seattle. <laughs> so, so you were pretty much. I have one right piece there. of the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> What's Brazil like? Okay. Well, in the farmland where I was, not by the amazing beaches, uh, the people were nice. Say, say, say Rio de Janeiro for us. Rio de Janeiro. Wow. Rio de Janeiro. Really? Is that G, how you say it in Korean? Like the letter G. Okay, you say it in Portuguese. Hio, so R is at the beginning of words. Yeah, Hio. Hio. G, like the letter G. Oh, wow. G. Hio, G. No, not G. 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 Like a hard G, like the letter G. G. Hio, G. Janeiro. Perfect. Janeiro. You got it. Man. Okay, that's You can go there and speak, man. I'm going right now. (laughs) That's cool. Do you want to say it in Korean for us? You're talking about it. Uh, sure. Let's see. (laughs) Rio de Janeiro. Oh, boy. <laughs> Holy cow. That's how I said it. Brazil. There you go. Brazil. Brazil. Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. <laughs> That's cool. I'm gonna, I I'm served gonna... in the Louisiana of South Korea, by the way. <laughs> That's cool. Hey, by the way, did you hear North Korea wants to put a man on the moon? <laughs> Wait, didn't? Kim Jong-il already go to the moon like three times and do a jig there? Yeah, I actually think he, he never actually went. I'm pretty sure he's done everything, right? Oh, yeah. He, he rode a unicorn there on a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> he's had 11 holes in one. <laughs> but remember, this is the man that never uses the restroom. <laughs> he's, he, so he's done all of that, uh, having never gone to the bathroom. <laughs> Amazing. Is, are his servants on the green when he's playing golf? Like, uh, uh-huh. man, get it. Put it in the hole. <laughs> 
Look over I there. I hole in one, sir. Amazing. Like O.J. Simpson in that dog. Oh, he would just drop the ball and be like, wow, it landed over here. It landed on a tee. It landed really? on a tee. In the middle of a fairway. Amazing. It's <laughs> How did it get up on that tee? <laughs> That's classic, boys. Anything else on your show that we just, we got to know so we don't. Country music videos. What? Johnny Linehan, the BYU punter, has has entered his uh, name into the CMT award running. Really? He created a video called Puntin', Kickin', and Lovin'. Puntin', Kickin', Lovin'? <laughs> Sounds really good. Lovin' Every Day is actually the name of it. That's but cool. Puntin', Kickin', and Lovin' Every Day. Oh, it's, that's good. It's a parody on a Luke Bryan song. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to be playing that. Are you going to actually speak to him? We may or may not play You're not that going to video. tell us. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, it's got rights. Yeah, you got to watch out for that. Yeah, We've got some rights issues. Got a little rights issue. Have to climb through some. <laughs> Good check with the attorneys. <laughs> Anything else that uh, we need to know about? Modest Yahoo. Yes. Uh, he's he's awesome. And a Taylor rapper. Sa- Taylor Sander is in Rio. He's a USA volleyball star, and we're going to talk to him. Really? Before the Olympic ceremonies tonight. Oh my heavens! Yeah. So he's just going to talk to us, an Olympian. Wow. Ask In English. Him, ask him about the mosquitoes. <laughs> he hasn't met, I don't think he's been asked yet. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you ask him about that because that's important to know. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, guys, we appreciate you. And, um, you know, if, if you ever are singing in a, in a bar somewhere and another guy starts singing with you, assume that that's the writer, that's the author of the song. Matisse Yahoo. Uh-huh. Always assume that. <laughs> what nationality is he again? Uh, I guess it's culturally he's a Jew. We don't know where his name came from, but maybe that's Jewish. I'm not sure. That's pretty much what I remember. That was really good. Was Thank that? You. I don't think that was the, those were the words though, right? I don't know. Hey, by the way, guys, have a happy work like a dog day. Okay, we will do that. Bye. It was chocolate chip cookie day yesterday. I know. Wasn't that a great day? Mm-hmm. I had two last night. I actually had chocolate chip cookies as well. Yep. You guys, peace out. Animal! Crumbly for the tumbly. <laughs> and we'll leave it on that note. <laughs> Crumbly for the tumbly and out. And scene. Crazy. It's always fun how they, um, they have this incredible memory of pop psychology stuff. Just a lot of stuff that I've chosen to forget. It blows me away every day. Does it? Yeah. Like, really, they remember the weirdest phrases. Who has, who has capacity for that? Not this guy. I'm trying to just keep breathing. I, uh, I found out I'm not in great shape because I had to help my mom move her carpet because uh, she had a little flood. And I'm pretty sure I pulled every... I'm pretty sure I pulled both muscles in my body. Done the upper them. one and the lower one. Mm-hmm. The, bo- the muscle for the upper body and the muscle for the lower body. Hey, we got to get to this uh, sink-loving kitten story. Suspected of flooding an animal shelter. One little kitten, six-month-old, is suspected of causing $5,000 damage at a Florida animal shelter. The Miami Herald reports that um, this, this cute little kitten got up on the sink and ended up opening up the the faucet. <laughs> Here's the audio. 
That cat is the devil. Did you hear that cat? He flooded the house. He flooded the entire Humane Society. Well, we're not sure it was a cat. No. It they, was... they say they're not sure, but they're pretty sure. Three inches of water, and which is weird because cats don't like water. So you'd think it wasn't the cat? Really good cover. But when you hear that audio, you know it's the cat. He is the devil. That is a bad kitty. <laughs> you are one bad kitty. Thousands of dollars of damage, by the way. The, apparently the water from Devil Cat ran 17 hours. 17 hours Devil Cat water. <sighs> what are you going to do? Anyway, I don't want to diss cats because, you know, just because I'm allergic to them doesn't mean they aren't great. But if you have a flood in your house like my mom did, Look for cats. We always like to end with a story about heroes, and who better to be a hero today than a, an officer? Listen to this. It was a no-brainer for Captain Eric Dickerson Dickinson, a Vinton police officer, to finish mowing an elderly man's lawn after he fainted and was taken by ambulance Monday afternoon. It was just a, stand, a, a standpoint that it's hot, he's not feeling well, and it needed to get done, and I, you know, I'll get it done, he said. It was the right thing to do in the moment. Little did the Dickinsons know uh, that uh, this small act of kindness would have a huge impact on Facebook and social media. One Facebook user wrote, I don't know who the officer is, but I want to thank him and the Vincent Police Department for the way he is setting an example and how they are serving the community. Dickinson said his act is nothing new in everyday law enforcement personnel. I would hope that people would look at the picture and understand that that's the kind of thing that's going on in every community on a daily basis. Whether it's in the big city, in the country, or the smallest village, Dickinson said that's what's going on on a regular basis. That's what your local law enforcement is doing on a regular basis. So Captain Eric Dickinson of the Vincent Police Department, you are the hero of the day. And uh, all of us, really, remember, every one of us are heroes to somebody, and without you being here on this great big ball of mud, it's going to matter to a lot of people. People that know you and people that don't, sometimes we just won't hear your song, we won't uh, have your masterpiece, we won't have your interaction. So let's take care of each other, let's look after each other, and uh, let's make this world better. Let's quit waiting for a politician or someone to step in and change the world. Why don't we take over and become the change? That's the show, my friends. Until Monday, make it a great weekend. If you want more information about us, you can find me at matttownsend.com. Go to byuradio.org as well. You can look us up on iTunes, on TuneIn, on all the social media networks. Look us up. Start listening to some of our other segments you haven't heard. We'll be back again Monday morning, bright and early, 9 to noon Eastern time, to help you see the good in the world. Until Monday, make it a great one and take care of each other.